Ciao. Ciao. Jalo Chow Chow Podcast has returned. What have I done to you? What do you want from me? We want you to listen. We want you to subscribe. And we want you to join our Facebook group. Do you know how to do those things? I don't know. I don't know anything. Well then, it seems we have no choice. <laughs> And welcome to this latest installment of Jalo Chow Chow, the Jalo Superstore, where here in episode 12, we're going to go deep into Double Face. And it's me and Al and Chris. And we're going to be doing this together because we have the clap. It's going to be good. <laughs> That's right, everybody. We have the clap, and no one's yeah. going to know what that even means, because it's an inside joke. So, hi. Hi. How's it going over there in oh, Italy, yeah. Mr. Owens? Uh, hot in the daytime and cool at night. At least up here in northern Italy. Down south, I hear it's a lot hotter. Mm. So, So, basically, what you're saying is... Is that that Al Gore is full of shit? Yeah, he is. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> that, that well, normally this time either. of year it would be hot 24 hours a day. Oh. So uh, during the day we open all the windows and turn on all the fans, and it seems like maybe an hour after the sun goes down we're closing all the windows and turning off all the fans because it gets a little too chilly. Yeah. yeah, which is strange for this late in the year. So, is it particularly um, dry or humid, or what's it like that way? It's been pretty humid. Yesterday yeah. it was drizzling off and on all day. Uh, last week it would be sunny during the day, and then uh, in the evening it would rain. And we even had a hailstorm a couple weeks ago, which is wow. kind of strange this time of year uh, but for the last couple of days it's just been hot and you know, cool at night what's it like in um the amish country chris i'm not in the amish country <laughs> so i wouldn't know <laughs> no when, when you talk about 
Pennsylvania, uh, most people think of either the Amish or Dutch. the fact that um, a whole bunch of people threw snowballs at Santa Claus at an Eagles game a hundred years ago. <clears throat> but uh, that's all we know. Um, it's nice here. I'm in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Uh, we had a couple of really fucking hot days last week um, on the Memorial Day weekend. And now you can wear white, by the way. Right, Matt? Can you wear white pants um, now? Yeah, you, you could wear white until Labor Day. Until Labor Day. That, that, okay, that is the rule. Unless you're skiing. And it's basically, it's white pants and white shoes. Unless you're After sledding or skiing do down a hill with a really bad blues or green screen behind you. Yeah, <laughs> which which we will um, get into with lube in just a bit here. We will we'll get into with lube. <laughs> yeah, because we are going to need to shove ourselves in there at great speed. Um, but yeah, I, here it's been um, overcast during the day, like in the morning. And then it gets really fucking ridiculously hot. And so I open all the windows, turn the fans on, like Al was talking about. And then as soon as the sun goes behind one of the buildings and it just gets kind of shady, like I'm freezing my fucking ass off and I put on a hoodie. And then by the time I figure out how to zip the zipper up, because one of the teeth are broken on my hoodie and it always comes apart, uh. um, I start sweating again. And I'm like, am I sweating because of the like me trying to get the zipper up or am I sweating because I'm wearing a sweater and it's fucking hot now. So then I take the sweater off and then I'm cold again, but then I was all sweaty cause I had the sweater on. So now I'm colder than I was before I put the sweater on. So then I put the sweater back on because I'm chilly again and I try closing all the windows and stuff and then it gets all stuffy and then I have to get out of the sweater. It's, it's um, confusing until about midnight. I would say. <laughs> That's a long time for it to be confusing. Yeah, like from 7.30 to midnight, I'm like not knowing what the fuck I'm doing. And just on like a weird freak fucking weird coincidence thing, or I don't I don't even know what to call it. I haven't had a drink in two days um, until about 30 seconds ago. And normally, like, I don't know if that's even a normally thing. I wouldn't even think about it. But then I was trying to think, like, when was the last time... I went longer than a day without a drink and I can't remember. So then the question is, does this mean I have a problem? Mm. But then I'm like, I didn't know there was a problem until I had to try to do the math and try to figure it out. Right. But I haven't been like freaking out and losing my mind that I haven't had a drink for two days. I just realized, Oh, I haven't had a drink in two days. So it's like, What's happening? Do I worry I don't, about I don't, this? Do I think about this? Yeah, I don't think that's an indicator of a problem. I think that's an indicator that you don't have one. Okay. For fuck's sake, that's a relief. I mean, you I'm know, fucking full of fucking problems and I don't need any fucking more. If so. you can't if you can't remember the last time you didn't have a drink, then that's uh, yeah. a different story, right? I can't remember the last time I didn't have a drink. Like, I can't remember the last time I went more than a day without a drink. It was probably four or five years ago, if I had to guess. I can't remember the last time you didn't go 
four or five days without not having an, a drink. Something like that. Too many negatives to forget about. <laughs> so, yeah. I think it's because we said too many negatives. I think it takes somebody else mentioning it. What was that, Al? Oh, yeah. Take someone else. I think else it takes somebody else telling you you have a problem before you really have to start thinking or wondering but, whether or not you have a problem. But then is the problem because I hate drinking around people? Like, I'd rather drink by myself, mm-hmm. but I will drink around Ooh, people that could if be a problem. I need to. But is it a problem? I just enjoy myself a lot more than I enjoy other people. So, well, that's a different problem. <laughs> that's. <laughs> I, I have that problem. drinking problems. <laughs> An antisocial problem. Yeah. Jesus fucking yeah. Christ, dude. Whew. That's okay. Oh. We're all we all have plenty of problems. My skeletons are all out in the fucking <laughs> foreground. <clears throat> Let's talk about something else with a shit ton of problems because uh, it'll take the attention off of me. Let's talk about double face. Wait, no. Do we have any <laughs> um, housekeeping notes that we need to take care of? Oh, yes. Oh, shit. Here it comes. <laughs> well, I have a couple of really quick ones. Um, first of all, that's what she um, said. First of all, um, we've got some new members on the Facebook group. Welcome. And I just wanted to welcome all of them. Um, I thought maybe it wasn't smart for me to name them all um, because it's a private group and this is a public podcast. So probably makes sense for me to just say hello, everyone who's joined um, the Jalo Chow Chow Volume 2 Facebook page um, group, that is. Uh, since the last uh, podcast went out, <clears throat> I also want to say hello to the folks over at the group called um, Jalo Realm. Um, hey. it's, a, it's a much bigger group than ours, and um, I don't know if you guys are on it, but they they usually have at least one or two posts a day on there, um, and there's a couple of thousand members. So um, what I noticed is that ever since I started plugging and putting links to our podcasts on their group that our numbers go up. So um, I can just give you some quick stats. Well, thank you, Jalo Realm members. Yeah, that's awesome. So Is we had different two... than the Jalo-holics group? Yeah, that's what I meant to say. I'm sorry. Al, oh, you, are, you are correct. It's the Jalo-holics group. Jalo Realm is the YouTube channel, and I believe one of the moderators is the same person between those two groups. Right. And that's well, why speaking I'm of confused. people having a problem. The Jalloholics seem to be addicted to Jallo Hall. So yeah. Everything. I can't there. remember the last time I went four or five days without watching a Jallo. So there it is. But not with other people. Yeah, people are fucking hard work, dude. <laughs> right about that uh so anyway that's that and then um i had a little bit of <laughs> i had a little bit of feedback that i want to read about last uh podcast episode that i think you guys will find funny it was from robert long 
who says, I love scene by scene, but listening to the latest episode, you guys go off on too many tangents. <laughs> this is why your show goes so long. This could be fixed with editing. <laughs> maybe, to, <laughs> maybe to keep the extended one for yourselves, but try to keep the runtime to 90 minutes for the, for the public. I gave up at two hours and 10 minutes. <laughs> I just oh. couldn't do it with all, with all the asides. I'm sorry, Robert. I mean, you know, it's it, partly my fault. I think that some of the asides can be avoided, but you got to understand that the very first half of our podcast, I edit because it's just small segments of discussion. But as soon as we start actually saying, okay, we're going to talk about the film. If there's a, an hour and a half to two hours worth of audio after that point, I don't listen to all of it because <clears throat> if I did, I would spend at least a week going through and taking out the ums and the ahs and all that shit and maybe taking out some of the tangents. And I just don't have it in me to do that. So you're getting the raw and uncensored discussion. And I think that some people do like it that way. So, um, but I, uh, I'm sorry that for, to Robert, that it, it, it's something well, that's not pleasing to you. Um, we'll try to keep it a little bit more concise this time. Let's put it like this for Robert and the people who have the same feelings as Robert. <clears throat> um, this, this whole Jalo watching experience is just a place, you know, a situation to where us three could get together and talk about shit because this is the only time we talk about shit. This is like the time where we hang out. So as much as you're listening to us review a movie or something like that, you're also just hanging out with us and having a drink with us. And that's why the, um, you guys sending in comments and sending in stuff is so important to us. Not because like we want to hear that our farts don't stink. It's <laughs> like, we're just hanging out, talking shit and hanging out with our friends. So if you want to hang out with your friends, meaning us too, then join the conversation and let us know what you think about shit. Because it's just like, we're busy motherfuckers who do a bunch of shit. And this is like our, um, chillax time where we're going to have a drink and shoot the shit. And, um, we use the, um, veil of talking about Jalo movies as a excuse to tell everyone else in our lives to leave us alone for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> so we can hang out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. I wonder how much of it has to do with uh, people's expectations when they listen to film-related podcasts. There are plenty of them that the entire podcast is just a review of a chosen film for that week or month or however often they do it. Right. Yeah. And if somebody clicks on. Uh, say tonight, double face, and they expect a in-depth, uh, informative, concise review of the film, then they might be put off by some of the tangents and uh, sidetracks and bunny holes that we go down. If you look at this podcast as a Jollo podcast first, where we, you know, most of our tangents are Jollo related. You know, we don't get into other things too much, but um, if you think this is a Jalo podcast and the film that they're going to be talking about the most is Double Face, then that might meet your expectations a little bit better. And you might yeah. not feel so disappointed if you look at it that way. 
And another thing too, which, and that's a really fucking good point, but like there are podcasts I listen to that are um, about like 10 hours long and I don't sit and listen to them like straight for 10 hours. Like I listen to little bits here and there. So, you know, just keep us with you throughout the week or two weeks or however long it takes Chris to edit the next fucking episode, you know, like it'll be a while. So like you could just like do this every time you take a shit, take your phone with you and turn us on and let us lull you into relaxation while you're taking a poo and only listen to us when you shit. And that would be probably the most adequate use of your time while listening to a show like this. And you I think call it, it the Jollo Brownout. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, <laughs> I encourage everyone, including Robert, to um, let us know your ideas and like your feedbacks and stuff like that, you know? We're just hanging out. And when you send your emails in, you have to let us know what you're drinking while you're listening to the show. And if you're going to the bathroom (laughs) while you're listening. The first one I think would be cool if we could get a poll of what people are doing or, or what they're imbibing in while they're listening to us. And, and listen, I know that my experience listening to our podcast is unique because I'm listening to myself talk and I can't get enough of that. But um, I definitely do the same thing that you suggested, which is I put it on and, um, you know, I I let it run and then I stop it and I'm doing something else. And sometimes I'll put it on (laughs) to get me to lull me to sleep, you know, (laughs) it's like. But you're right. If you consider it to be a bunch of uh, friends hanging out instead of, you know, a very informative and critical uh, podcast about films, then. Yeah, you're going to learn very little. Like if you're (laughs) listening to this show to like expand like your, um, I don't know, like your mental capacity for learning, like there's probably better podcasts to listen to. Like. I mean, we we drop pretty fucking amazing bombs every once in a while, but there's a lot of shit you got to get through before you hear something like that. <laughs> yeah, so you it's more of like <laughs> you got to wait for it. It's in there, but you know, whatever. You know, some oh, film related podcasts include in the podcast notes what time the the actual film discussion starts, because they'll do a lot of house cleaning and uh, yeah feedback discussion and things in like the first half of the podcast and they understand that some people don't want to hear that they want to get straight into the the meat of the you know whatever chosen film is being discussed so maybe you could just put a little timestamp note somewhere on the uh, that would be good too um here maybe i could add maybe i could add sound effects and make a video trailer for it and then maybe i could no i'm just (laughs) kidding uh actually al it's I've, Maybe you I've, could put a timestamp for fucking sarcasm, you dick. <laughs> it would be from zero to the end. That would be an easy one. <laughs> um, no, put a I list actually, of trigger warnings. I don't know beginning. if anybody noticed, but when I post the podcast, there is a link to the show notes um, on the podcast page. Um, 
but I don't do timestamps and I probably should because I actually I do take those notes because I have to add some post-production stuff to the audio file and I need to know <clears throat> where to drop that stuff in. So I actually do have the the timestamps to that. So, well, I'm yeah. actually going to you could cut this out if you don't want this in the show, because this is like um, yeah. behind the scenes here. But I was going to say, like, if you want um, people to be a little less judgy of how we do stuff here, if you like dropped the volume two thing and went to the original numbering and it shows that like, we're almost at like a hundred episodes or something like that. Yeah. People will go, Oh, like they'll come to an episode, listen to it and go, Oh shit. They've been doing this for fucking a hundred episodes. I guess everyone's okay with this. But when it's like, oh, this is only the 12th episode, maybe they need someone like me to tell them how to do their fucking job because they obviously don't know how to fucking do it yet. That's um, a, it's a fucking brilliant idea, and I'm not going to cut this out. And if all of a sudden you realize <laughs> that you are watching, um, if all of a sudden you look up and realize that uh, instead of this being episode 12, that it's episode uh, 83, um, then that's what we decided to do. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Well, yeah, but like on iTunes and shit, like you could break it up into seasons and crap like that. And I think you've done that already, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So um, they could see like what iteration of the show this is. But, um, dude, we've been doing this since... Um, fuck i don't know since argento was still making good movies like we've been we've been doing this podcast forever you know like shit oh my god listen matt i don't know how you know how to how to transition from one topic to another so brilliantly but that was where i was going next but just as an aside oh shit. um november 20th 2013 was when the first episode came out. Fuck. So, I didn't think it was that long ago. Like nine years ago. It was kind of blowing fucking smoke. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> God, and people thought we would fucking run out of movies to do. You suckers. Well, and it's a very suckers. interesting thing because. And we did a lot of double features for like a run there too. We Yes, we did. Towards the end, like after episode 50, we did two, two films per episode. Um, but it's interesting because the podcast was offline for a while because your hosting Matt had lapsed and yeah. we were able to recover I all the that. episodes from Didn't people Al who had, do that. Um, I don't know if it was Al, but somebody sent me a bunch of them and I also had a bunch that were saved as well. Um, that was somebody else. But since I resurrected the podcast on wow. on new hosting, we've had 343 people download the first episode, which was nine years ago. So um, those downloads are all those, that that number, that 343 is all since we we came back with volume two. So um, I don't oh, know shit, what man. the download stats are for the original time that it was I, I have no idea um I, I just it's crazy to think that when we did the first episode of Jalo chow chow a lot of people who have Jalo podcasts now were watching blues clues 
that fucking <laughs> blows my fucking mind. That's fucking crazy, dude. Yeah. Fuck. I was married. That's so nuts. So here's the thing I I wanted to bring up for this discussion before we get into the film. I was listening to the last podcast and, and I realized that in the last probably five to six to seven to eight in a row, there's been a segment where Argento gets shit on. Uh, (laughs) And um, I wanted to make a case and incidentally, um, I managed to grab a copy of the latest Argento film, and I'm going to try to watch it tonight. I've got a, a version. I thought with, you were going to say you already saw it. I haven't uh, seen it yet. I haven't okay, seen it yet. Okay. I've got a. It's an Italian with English subtitles. So, <clears throat> but uh, here was the thing I wanted to bring up because I know that um, we talk a lot about, you know, what have you done for me lately, as it as it applies to Dario Argento. Jalen Jackson. Oh, okay. And, um, well, yeah, Janet Jackson as well. Um, so we're, since we're doing a show where the topic centers around the films from the golden age of this particular period of time when movies were being created and, and, and put out, and we kind of all agree that the, um, proliferation, let's say of the the giallo film can be attributed to the success that argento had with his first movie um i think that uh what i'd like to try to do here is insist that um we don't really care about what fulci did in the 80s when it comes to this podcast we don't really care what Martino did in the 90s when it comes to this podcast. We don't look at their stuff. But we're very critical of Argento's stuff in the later years, and and rightly so, because a lot of it is uh, very difficult to watch, um, knowing the kind of films that he did in, in the early 70s. But um, I would like to try to do a redemption episode um, soon. It doesn't necessarily have to be next episode, but I'd like to do a redemption episode, and I'll tell you why. The first Argento film that is important to us is Bird with the Crystal Plumage, and that was the very first episode of the podcast. Yeah. And um, I wasn't even on the podcast, so I didn't get a chance to talk about it with you guys. The second Argento uh, giallo, Cat of Nine Tales, was also covered on a day when I wasn't able to join in on the podcast. So the first two i think are really important to have a a revisit since since the the age of old when this podcast first came out now we know how matt feels about four flies um and i know that we did a lot on deep red uh because it was the 50th episode and i know that we did tenebrae also so i don't know that those need to be revisited right now um but I think that maybe, at least for me, I'd like to kind of try to balance 
the dialogue because we have all been kind of taking shots at Argento, whether it be his later work sucks or it might be, hey, you know, he was in a privileged position when he started and that's why he's so successful. He didn't do anything original or important because that's also been I'm not saying that you guys believe that to be 100 percent true. But I think that that's been one of the things that we've discussed. And I have a tendency to agree with it, too. I mean, like, for example, if you look at the fact that the person, I forget the guy's name right now, but the guy who did the cinematography for Bird ended up doing the cinematography for Apocalypse Now and getting an Oscar for it. It's not a coincidence that this guy just happened to work on this, like this budding young Italian director. He obviously had friends in high places and his dad said hey why don't you help my son out by lensing his film um i mean we don't know that for sure but we're kind of thinking that 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 might have been part of it right so um all of that aside i would like to try to take a look at those first two films again i wouldn't mind doing the whole animal trilogy again yeah okay I'll, i'll i'll watch the fucking shitty fly movie again (laughs) and see if i think it's any better but i i will just say this like one of the reasons why i talk so much shit on argento is because it pisses so many people off (laughs) like there are so many fucking argento fanboy fucking cum guzzlers out there and that might be a little harsh to say too maybe i shouldn't have said that but i'm just saying like it's it's funny and yes like i think he showed up at an opportune time with opportune privilege to be able to kind of make his mark in a period where doing so was very advantageous to his career. And then um, the, the good folks at Fangoria um, put him up on a pedal stool, which is not what it's called right now. But, um, <laughs> and then everybody um, kind of, and I think a lot of it too was that his movies were so hard to fucking find Yeah, that people were just um, hit over the head with this guy is the, like the master of everything. And everyone's like, Oh shit. When I see an Argento movie, it'll be amazing. And yes, like Suspiria was something very different. And I, the thing that I like about Suspiria the most is how different it was and how, it sticks out in a sea of shit that was coming out during that time. Mm. So there are things to credit Argento for. Okay. But if we're talking about what Jalo is and what Jalo um, was and everything about it, um, it's kind of weird that he gets the credit that he does. And one of the other things too, it's not like people in the eighties we're going, oh, Lindsay's the master of everything. Let's all worship the cock of Lindsay. <laughs> like, no one was fucking doing that. No one was doing that with Martino. Um, a couple people were probably doing that with Fulci, but, like, I don't think it was enough to make anybody's hair stand on end, you know? But, um, and some people were doing that with Bava, but I feel like Bava's whole thing was, well, he might have been the grandfather but uh, Argento's the master mm. and all that fucking shit. So a lot of it too. And if you weren't around in the eighties with Fangoria, like 
this whole Argento worship, you might not even be aware of. Right. Like for the younger listeners out there, you have no idea how hard people were trying to shove Argento down your fucking throat in the eighties. Like, and it was so funny because there were so many people I knew who were like, Oh, Argento, Argento, Argento. And then you're like, Oh, what movies of his oh, have you seen? Oh, uh, well, uh, uh, None, cause I can't find yeah, them. Yeah. Exactly. Or like, well, I saw Suspiria once, uh, this one time, at this one place, but they don't have it there anymore. So you can't go rent it, you know, but it was there, but it's not there now, you know, just like shit like that. So, um, it's probably, I will admit, it's probably a little, um, me being petty or just trying to get a rise out of people for fun. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that it, and, and I'd like to hear, you know, I, I don't want to step on whatever Al is, is about to say or if he has any thoughts on this, but I think that Argento is a very unique figure in that he got the attention of American audiences through Suspiria, obviously, and maybe even Phenomena because it was a more international, like Americanized thing. But once people discovered his, um, his Suspiria, and said, well, have you seen any of the other stuff? Then it was like, well, he's got this other stuff and it's nothing like Suspiria, but also it's got this weird kind of name to it called Jalo. And what does that even mean? And that's how I personally got into the whole Jalo thing. Um, and, you know, you can't really dismiss the fact that you know, and we've been watching, I mean, I've been watching nothing but films prior to 1970 for the last, say, six months. Um, I haven't watched a single Giallo film after 1970. I haven't, like, I consider Bird to be that kind of line in the sand. And I haven't yeah. watched it. I haven't watched it again yet. Um, I've been watching all the stuff from 68 and 69. And I rewatched all the Lindsay stuff and. I'm just avoiding everything after Bird because I really want to get a sense of um, kind of the historical context of everything so that when I go back to watch Bird again, I can see it with the eyes of somebody who says, look how different this is compared to, and maybe it's not that different. Maybe I'm guessing, but like, look how, like, what was it about Bird that seemed to follow the same formula that all these other films prior to it were doing? But this one happened to just catch the public's attention to the point where it became successful and was considered financially successful. Because that's kind of what we're talking about, you know. Also, I think what I would like to do, and hopefully we could plan this accordingly, um, I would like to read the Screaming Mimi before watching um, Bird again. So Okay. Um, and from what I understand, it's, it was just basically an idea that Argento grabbed from that book. Yeah. And it's not, it's not really very, there's not a lot of detail that you can compare to the film and say, oh, that's, you know, but it would be interesting to see, you know, where he got it from. Yeah. But, um, Al, like, go ahead and jump in here. Yeah. I was going to ask Al, like, you know, what, what's your 
how familiar are you with, let's say, Argento's, you know, first three films and then Deep Red, throwing Deep Red on the end of there? Uh, everything through, well, up till Tenebre, I'm pretty familiar with. After that, I've seen uh, Opera and Inferno and I think like the first half of the Stendhal Syndrome. Okay. So I haven't seen a whole lot of his. Oh, I saw part of the, the Dracula, whatever, 3D thing that he did. <laughs> um, so I haven't seen too much of his later stuff. But I was wondering, you know, we're coming at it from the, I guess, from the 80s period where Fangoria was pushing him so much. I wonder if there are people younger than us who grew up watching his 90s stuff and maybe that was the first horror thriller type films that they saw and they identify more with that damn if you are out there please fucking send us a detailed fucking (laughs) list of how that worked because that's shit that's fucking crazy shit dude I I mentioned that because once I I met a guy who was a lot younger than myself and I was driving him somewhere and I didn't really know what to talk about. So we started discussing music and he said he liked heavy metal. Oh, cool. And here's something we can talk about. So uh, what kind of metal bands do you like? Oh, I really like Metallica. Oh, perfect. Cool. This is going to be a fun ride. So what's, you know, what kind of uh, Metallica stuff do you like? What's your favorite album? And he said, oh, I really like the old stuff. And for a <laughs> second, I was kind of impressed. I was like, wow, this guy knows Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And he said, yeah, you know, old stuff like their Black Album. Right. And my heart just sank. <laughs> because <laughs> for me, that was the beginning of the mm-hmm. end for them. Yeah. But well, that the end was the beginning of yeah, no, okay. I think it was the beginning of the end. I see the Black Album as Metallica 2.0. It's like yeah, that, there's a very fine distinction of you know before and after the Black Album. I think. Yeah. However, you ju- feel about the music itself, right? I mean, and Justice for All was so technical, and then their follow up is like, you know, these two or three note riffs over and over again, and uh, right. I but, see that. So, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my Metallica was, you know, lightning and puppets. And that's what Metallica meant to me and what I expected from Metallica and appreciated about Metallica. And he hadn't even heard those albums. So for him, Metallica was the Black Album and Load and Reload. And he liked them for that. And that's how he identified them. Yeah. So, yeah, I wonder if there are people out there that, you know, the... There are Gento stuff that we kind of goof on a lot. I wonder if there are people out there that appreciate that and just haven't worked their way backwards to the, yeah, uh, such know, a good the more classic stuff. Well, you know, I like, think honestly too, like if people look at Argento for his horror, <clears throat> like they might go back as far as Deep Red, but I don't know if they'd hit the Animal Trilogy. Yeah. Yeah, and I, that's absolutely true because I remember that my exposure to Argento was Suspiria, was um, Creepers, uh, 
and I was able to get a copy of the edited version of Deep Red on video cassette. It was a Thorn EMI, Deep Red, The Hatchet Murders, it was called. And um, when I finally was able to get a copy of Bird with the Crystal Plumage from the video rental place, I watched it and fell asleep because I didn't really, like, there wasn't anything going on that my 15-year-old slasher brain was was ready for like you know it's it, i'd you rent like three movies and and like hang out with your friends for like an overnight and the first one was like dawn of the dead and then you'd put on um you know brain damage or blood sucking freaks or um oh, pieces freak. or you know what i mean like oh, just crazy yes. stupid ridiculous films and then you put on bird and it's very much kind of conventional not very much very different, yeah. not much blood and i think that the one scene in bird where they do like the one that one stalking murder sequence in the beginning of bird i think it was originally edited um you know the scene where the killer i think cuts off the bottoms the bottom underwear of the victim and i think that she's shown like kind of like a full frontal shot i think they took that out of the um the version that I saw in the eighties um, because of the censoring. But um, yeah, it's really interesting because when people are into horror movies, um, you know, when people start getting into horror movies, like new, new kids, I don't know that there's a lot that's been released within the last 20 years that people say, Hey, you got to see this compared to all the stuff from the seventies and the eighties. But maybe I'm, you know, waxing poetic here, like, you know, <laughs> thinking that, you know, the stuff that I thought was the best um, is still the best. Um, and the, they don't make them like they used to anymore. But like, maybe that's not true. So, yeah, if there are people out there who, you know, their exposure to Argento started with, let's say, trauma or oh, or dude, opera or Stendhal syndrome. Put a up on the Facebook group and just okay. say what was your introduction to Argento and see what we get. And if um, there's not enough bites on our group, let's borrow the Jowaholics group for that. We'll do it in the other one. Yeah. I yeah. agree. But speaking but about, also another oh, fucking great thing is like Metallica. Like I think the first Metallica song I ever heard was one. And then um, I got ride the lightning. Yeah. And I played that tape until it fucking died. <laughs> and, um, but it was crazy because I had Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets, and Justice for All, but I couldn't find Kill 'em All. And Kill 'em All was like that holy grail that I was oh. looking for forever. And again, you would never experience that today. You could just like do whatever and find whatever. Right. But um, searching for Kill 'em All, like in the area I lived, it was never at any of the record stores. And so when I finally found that, I thought I had like cured cancer. <laughs> like I thought it was like the greatest thing in the fucking world. And I don't even remember if I thought it was good. I was just so happy that I had it. And I was, I pulled the J card out of the cassette thing yeah. and I was just sitting there fucking staring at it and looking at it. And I'm like going, so, cause at first like that blood splatter I thought was in the image or something. So I'm like staring at it going, what is this? What am I looking at? <laughs> What is this thing? Right. Um, but yeah. 
no, Ride the Lightning was fucking amazing. And then I made yeah. a blank tape that had Ride the Lightning on one side and um, uh, Suicidal Tendencies, <laughs> um, the album before Lights, Camera, Revolution. Um, oh, fuck. What was it? So was how it will that? I laugh tomorrow? Was... Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Oh, God, dude. Yeah, I dude, stopped I listening to. Oh. So I dude, I love the first suicidal album. It, it reminded me of just like South California skater oh, punk yeah. rock music. Um, and I never liked anything after that. <laughs> like Join the oh, Army, dude. I think was their second album, right? How will I laugh tomorrow was so fucking good. I loved that album. Yeah. Ah, oh, good stuff. That's like when the Dirty Rotten Imbeciles put out the crossover album. I don't know if you remember that. Um, but they had that album called Dealing With It, which was just unbelievable. My, one of my favorite punk albums of all time. And then uh, I, I forget what else they had, but then they put out an album called Crossover. And it was very like slowed down, very, you know, chunky, metal, riffy kind of thing. And if you like metal, that's great. But I was hoping for more DRI, you know, hardcore. But anyway. Yeah, I had that DRI album and the SOD album on the <sighs> same team. <sighs> Speak English or Die? Yeah. Oh, what a great <laughs> album. Oh, my God. I listened to that thousand times at least. Dude, that's so weird when you think about, like, what tapes you copied onto a single tape. Because I, that was a big thing for me. Like, I'm like, oh, I can't put that tape on the back of this tape. Like, this, the tape that I'm putting on the back of this has to be equally is good for me or like, the, like i don't know there was so much thought put into shit like that they had to complement each other yeah like if, if i wanted to go to a show it would be the greatest like two act fucking show like it's on this tape now like what is it <laughs> for our younger audience when we say tape we're talking about cassettes so just so you know google it. <laughs> 120 minute memorex yeah deal. <laughs> well and uh, just an interesting side tangent on this side tangent i'm sorry robert um <laughs> oh shit hey robert are you still listening <laughs> probably not um we totally fucked up so oh my when God. I, I was in i guess i was in like i want to say seventh grade and it was 19 seventh grade was like 1986 for me so um I had there was a college radio station that played nothing but punk rock music, and I was listening to it all the time. And they were playing Stormtroopers of Death, which was understandably not exactly punk rock, but it fell into the category because it was, you know, kind of un underground. Um, and it was like you'd hear like the Sergeant D and the SOD, or you'd hear Speak English or Die, or you'd hear um, Kill Yourself, right? And they would play those on the radio. And so I'm like, dude, this is the greatest album I've ever heard. I've got to go get it. And I was already a fan of Anthrax and Nuclear Assault. So I knew like the fact that there were these guys that had made like this kind of concept band. So I go out and I get the cassette. And it's the first time I'm ever listening to it. And I'm driving in the car with my dad and we're driving to my grandmother's <laughs> house. Right. And we get through the first side and then we get to the last song on the first side of the cassette, which is What's That Noise? And it's when Billy Milano's like, and he starts singing a song and then they make this weird sound and he goes, what the fuck was that? And then he just goes nuts and he loses his shit. What the fuck is that fucking noise? 
And my dad is like looking at me going, this is what you bought at the store? Like, why did you like, like you, you shouldn't be listening to this. I was like, you know, I was like 12, you know, maybe 11 or something. Um, but I, I've never, I never forgot that moment because it was almost like, I don't know how, what kind of relationships you guys had with your parents, but whenever there was a time where I knew a curse word was coming in the music, I either tried and they were, and they were in the room listening. I would either try to like pause turn it, it down, or yeah. turn it down or cough or something. But yeah. this, this was out of control. Once Billy Milano was on his third or fourth rant about why the fucking song was making noises, I couldn't stop it. And plus I didn't know what was coming next. Like, cause I had never heard it before. Yeah. You oh, can't God. listen to shit like that in front of your parents. The first time <laughs> you have to like quality control that shit. No, dude, I had the same problem with the end of uh rocket queen on the fucking appetite for destruction album where they're like doing the like they're fucking and it's like ah, 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 ah. <laughs> i'm in the car i'm like oh my fucking god how do i make this song stop and then um uh i same thing with uh lies um one in a million came on and there's all sorts of words in that song you don't want to yeah. have um but then um i remember uh pantera um, I got vulgar display of power for Christmas and um, fucking hostile came on. And uh, so that's fine. It just keeps pausing and saying fucking hostile. And then at the end of the song, it's like, fucking, fucking, fucking. And I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. When's it going to stop? Oh, that's funny. Well, I, I remember going out to the record store and coming back with, um, the cramps date with Elvis on vinyl. Oh, so and there's good. a song on there. There's a song on there called, can your pussy do pussy the dog? Do the dog. Yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. Oh, <laughs> and my dad looked, he's like, what'd you get from the record store? <laughs> and he turned it around and he looked at the names of the song. He's like, it just shook his head. Yeah. I, um, like in high school, there was a record store right next to my high school called bionic records. And um, they had this amazing T-shirt wall. So being 14, this is like the first time I'm like going into a record store without parents around, like taking whatever money I panhandled at lunch. So like mm. buy whatever the fuck I want. And um, like I got the L7 Smell the Magic shirt where it's like the chick like holding the dude's head in her crotch. <laughs> and um, I'm like, oh, this is so badass. This is so cool. I put the shirt on. I go home thinking that no one would be home and my parents were there and I'm like, Jesus Christ. So then I'm like, Oh, I have to start doing my own laundry now. Cause I can't let my mom see this fucking shirt. And then, um, so right. that started that whole fucking thing. And then like, um, yeah, I just kept getting all these shirts that I thought would like be really crazy at school, but then like, Oh shit, I got to hide them when I get home. So like all my cannibal corpse and, um, <laughs> black flag shit. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm doing all sorts of dumb shit. We're well, all over the place here. Well, did you happened? guys have the, uh, or see somebody with the metal up your ass metallic shirt? With the yeah. Switchblade out of the toilet. Totally. I'm My sure. He's been looking for that shirt for a while. <laughs> he hasn't been able to find it anywhere less than like mm. 50 bucks. So I'm kind of proud that he wants it. Yeah. 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 Just to bring it full circle with the Argento discussion, um, 
The one thing talking I, about that hack. Yeah, the one thing and I wanted to get I wanted to put an end to the sentence here. The one thing that I noticed, I started watching the new movie and I watched it just to make sure that the subs that I had were synced up properly and I watched the first 5 minutes and and I was impressed with what I had seen. Um but basically it maybe it was cuz I was just excited to see what Argento was going to do now. But one of the things I noticed and you guys we all have limited exposure to Argento's later work, but if you look at opera, like to, to go back for a second and, and the style that Argento started visually with uh, the colors, the camera movements, the, the scene um, setup and, and the framing and all that with bird, cat, uh, four flies, deep red. All four of those kind of have a feel. And then, you know, obviously you've got what he did with the two um, horror, like supernatural horror films with the colors and all that weird stuff. And then, of course, Tenebrae has its own look, this very stark, um, colorless kind of thing. But then, like, once you start to get to phenomena and opera, and then opera has this look that reminds me of like a video where the contrast is turned way up so that they can darken the brightness. I don't know if that makes any sense, Matt, cause you're kind of like the visual guy, but like in order to make the film dark, but still be able to see what's going on, you have to turn the contrast up, right? Yeah. Yeah. I understand. So it's, I feel like opera was the first of Argento's films to have that look. And then trauma had a different kind of look because I think he he filmed that thinking it might be filmed for TV or or maybe he had just that set that sensibility at the time. But I think he just look, wanted it to look like Twin Peaks. Yeah, I, yeah, you're right. It does really look like Twin Peaks. Um, if you look at Stendhal Syndrome and all the films that came after Stendhal Syndrome, they all kind of have that same look, and it's it's not as um, it's not as exaggerated as opera is. Like, I think opera is like one of those films of the nineties where the contrast is turned so up, like everything is just bleeding um, from the contrast. And I think that when Stendhal syndrome and the films that came after it, they have that same look, but they don't have it as extreme as opera does. But what I, the point I'm making is that it looks like part of the reason why I get a certain feeling when I watch late Argento films is because they all look that way. Like I've seen the card player. I've seen, um, sleepless, which actually came before the card player. I've seen the third mother. I've seen parts of the Phantom of the opera. Um, and I just started watching this in the first five minutes of this new film and they all have that same look. And, um, I wonder if that's part of what we don't like about modern or, you know, late, late Argento period. Cause it's just a style that isn't palatable compared to, you know, the early stuff. Well, <clears throat> I mean, I think a lot of it is like Argento made his mark, not by his storytelling, but by the images you see. Right. And when the images are drab or, not as dreamlike as everyone who came into Argento, at least since Al brought that up. I don't know if that's the case anymore, but um, 
like that was my big thing i'm like <clears throat> oh this guy who is really kind of not good at telling stories is going to rely more on his storytelling abilities than his visuals and that was kind of where i started to like really like fall from love with him let's say yeah i don't know i mean uh i i didn't I didn't want to talk for an hour about Argento, but I kind of did. So, um, cause w- what else do we do before we cover a film? Um, <laughs> well, usually we take care of Argento on the back end, but yeah. um, today we decided to go full frontal on him. Right. So, yeah. So yeah, think about it. I'd like to, I'd like to, to start, uh, an idea where we cover bird and cat, maybe not, in the same exact episode but you know yeah that'd be fun i'm down all right so uh, so are we getting on with the feature presentation yeah, I think we're ready. Okay, cool. Because like my caffeine high is almost dead. <clears throat> so I'm on my second um, beer. All right, everybody. Today we're doing Double Face, starring Claus Kinski and a bunch of other people. I think it's 1969 correct yeah. that new dress okay 1969 double face um there's a lot of things i can say about this movie and i think i will be saying them as we go but as this movie went i wish it was called double pace because <laughs> it was slow in a lot of parts it was and the music was not great. I was oh. not a huge fan of the music. Oh, that's a shame. There were some good songs in it. Well, one song that played like three times. But um, I, you, you start this movie out, and we see a car chase. And there's, there's cops, and a car blows up. And we see our friend, Klaus Kinski, in the police car with the policeman and he says something along the lines of it was such a perfect plan and it somehow went awry or something like that i, I can't remember what the fuck he said <laughs> um, <clears throat> the music was bad whatever there's a car burning music's playing at the trunk opens it doesn't matter um and then claus starts telling us more it all started back when i was skiing in the alps and this <laughs> 
sexy woman put me on her sled and we rolled around in the snow and it was so funny. And then we wanted to fall in love and have the fucking bumping of uglies. And um, I gotta say that not only does this look like green screen, but it looks like um, that where you put the plate um, on the top part portion of the camera that Baba used to do a lot of. Yeah. Because the background, like on one of the shots where they're like rolling around, the background like moves. Like it got like bumped or I, don't, I have no fucking idea what the hell happened. Yeah, but it's really lo-fi. Th- this is like seriously like one of the worst things. And I have the sneaking suspicion that I've seen this movie before. And so many things that happened in this movie, I can almost go, I remember this. Yeah. But not enough to where I would go, oh, yes, I distinctly remember watching this movie. So that told me early on that this might be one of those movies that, my God, this movie was so bad, I tried to erase it from my memory. But I was hoping that that wasn't the case. And so we will see if that is the case. That's a little bit of suspense for you here. So did you guys love the snow scenes? (laughs) Well, first of all, I I was, I have to take umbrage with you with regard to the soundtrack because the soundtrack was written by Nora Orlandi and performed by Nora Orlandi for most of it, although it had a conductor and a big band and everything. But if you listen to the main theme in this movie, and then you listen to the theme in Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, and then you listen to the theme that was reused in Kill Bill, it's the same song, and it was written by Nora Orlandi. She was a classically trained Italian pianist. She played violin, and she was a vocalist, but she composed all the music for this film. She composed, I think, all the music for strange vice of mrs ward and the sweet body of deborah and i like it um and it's also um kind of important to talk about her because i think you know she was obviously you know a a minority in in her industry with regard to how many people you know were composing films that were men um but i really liked it um and it's it sucks that does she have any relation to Riz? <laughs> no, that's Ortolani. Oh, okay. I got that screwed up too. I'm like, wait, yeah, are they husband like, and oh, wife? Wow, that's cool. <laughs> husband and wife duo. The music was um, jarring. Mm-hmm. Like there was never anything in the like a lot of times. What I like about a soundtrack or a score is that it accentuates the things that are happening. It builds suspense, it builds emotion, and all this other stuff. This, with this movie, the music was just like, it's really loud now and tough can fucking deal with it. (laughs) And like, this is where we need to put music so it's loud. Like, there was no subtlety to it. It was almost like, yeah, they got music from somebody. Like they wrote a bunch of songs and now we're going to put these songs in this movie. Mm. Like they didn't feel like there are some exceptions to the rule, obviously in here, but a lot of the music in here felt um, a little out of place for me. And that's just me, you know, no big deal. Opinions. What do you think, Al? 
I saw that she also had music in Death Walks in High Heels and The Sweet nice. Body of Deborah. I noticed there was a lot of similarity between the, the music that they used in Kill Bill and the song in this one, but I didn't realize it was exactly the same. Yeah. No, you're but right. There's there's a theme. That makes sense. There's a theme that they use in The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, which is... Uh-huh. What is her first name? Is it Julie in that movie? I think. Julie Ward. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Like there's a theme Uh, that was written for Julie. And there's, there's a scene in the strange vice of Mrs. Ward where our German friend, I forget what his name is. The blonde haired, blue eyed guy. She's in. Yeah. Yeah. Asimov. Right. No way. Isn't Asimov. 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 Asimov is a, the robot guy. Um, oh God! Uh, <laughs> there's a scene in in Strange Vice where Razumov and and Mrs. Ward are like having relations, and he smashes some sort of glass thing and throws the glass on her in slow motion. Yeah. And it's like she likes getting beat yeah. up or whatever during sex, and they're playing this theme, and that exact same theme is played in Kill Bill. I'm going to say part two, there's a scene where um, Bill's brother is sitting outside the trailer park in the desert. That woman deserves her revenge. And we deserve to die. If you listen to the, the main theme that they play in Double Face. It's a variation, and it seems like maybe the composer was working out this theme and going through different variations and finally arrived at something that became the version that you hear in Strange Vice. But in this movie... Well, it might be, too, a lot. Like, a lot of composers, I think, especially around this time, like, not that they had, like, stock footage of music, but they would write a bunch of shit... And just have like this like catalog that people can go through to try to put stuff in things. So like there's a good possibility that she wrote all of these songs at the same time that we're talking about. And they're all kind of similar and they all went to different things. Yeah. No, that's very, that's a very important point to make. Cause like you have to, you have to think like the, the main theme for eyeball, for example, was that written by um bruno what the hell's wrong with me i can't think nikolai yeah nikolai was that written by bruno nikolai specifically for Lindsay's film called eyeball or was that a theme that he wrote and he had it in like you know his catalog and Lindsay was like yeah i like that one let's take that one so good i don't know but anyway Okay, so what do you guys think of the green screen? Ugh. Ow, 
hit it. I think the best special effect in that scene wasn't the green screen. It was actually the smile on Klaus Kinski's face because I didn't know he was capable of that after watching several of his films. Yeah, he looked like he was having fun. So kudos for them for pulling that off. Yeah. Like the I wonder if it had to do with the fact that it looked like... Go ahead. Oh, well, I don't know. Since you guys introduced me to the concept of pegging, as they're showing them coming down the mountain, I couldn't help but wonder if uh, <laughs> you know, her being behind him in that <clears throat> position, if maybe that was what put the grin on his face for the rest <laughs> of that scene. It was kind of like the, um, the proto GoPro camera. They're like, hey, let's go down this mountain. Yeah. But instead of having the GoPro facing that way, we're going to have it facing us. I'm so like, sorry. This is like uh-huh. a selfie. Robert, I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm glad hey, you we're bring talking this up. about the fucking movie, okay? I'm glad you bring this up because <laughs> I'm looking at Klaus Kinski, and I know that the guy is famous. He's a B-movie famous actor. But he is so odd-looking, like... Dude, He's his got this head gigantic as forehead. the movie goes. What's that? His head is growing as the movie progresses. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. Yeah, his, his forehead is inflating. But like, minute. okay, think of every other Klaus Kinski movie you've seen. Have you seen a movie where his head, like the from the eyebrows up, looks like it's increasing in size <laughs> as proportionate to his body? Like... I've never seen him look so frail, yet so bulbous. Yeah. Like, it's fucking nuts. Seen and I don't know if it's the Well, yeah, but, like, we could say that has, like, makeup and, like, you know. But, like, just him yeah. looking like, him looking like him. Like, is yeah. it the haircut? I don't know. Because in Agita, the Wrath of God, he wears a helmet most of the time. Uh, in a lot of the spaghetti westerns, he's wearing a cowboy hat. Uh, I guess we'd have to compare him to Slaughterhouse or uh, what do you yeah. call it? Slaughter Hotel. Slaughter Hotel. Yeah. Old Blue Beast, whatever we're calling it today. And what's her name is in Slaughter Hotel too. Um, the guy who, the girl who plays his wife, Helen, she's in Slaughter Hotel. Oh my God, she's yeah. They start in uh, breathtaking a few movies movie. together. Yeah, she is gorgeous. I, I, I had to look when I was looking at her last night when I was watching the film for the second time. I'm like, she reminds me of like Elizabeth Hurley or Kate Beckinsale. Did you guys get that vibe? Don't don't diss this woman, dude. Why? Both? She's a, she, a good-looking woman. I I think both of the women I just mentioned are also on the same par. Elizabeth Hurley, I think, looks more like fucking Abraham Lincoln in the last movie we watched. Well, I'm talking. Like I'm talking chair. about like like the first Austin Powers, Elizabeth Hurley. Yeah. And like Kate Beckinsale from like um. Just say Underworld. No, no, no. Serendipity. Serendipity. With John Cusack. 
wow, look at you, like, watching all the awesome rom-coms. That's the only rom-com I watch. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that one because I love her, and I love John Cusack, and I love Nick Drake, because and they use a lot of Nick Drake music in that movie, so. Oh, Pink Moon, dude. What an album. Yeah. Anyway. Well, okay, so moving right along. So then we um, go into him talking a little bit more, um, and we notice very early on that not only is he now married to this woman, but um, she's a closet lesbian who brings her lesbian lover around to um, wash her back in the bathtub while he sits there not diddling himself. And um, <laughs> her, her girlfriend, I think her name is Liz, Liz doesn't Liz. understand how to wash a back. She says, wash my back, Liz. And Liz is like, okay, I'll give you a massage. And she's like, oh. So obviously this is how their lesbian relationship has um, commenced. Um, (laughs) It sounds like it happened on um, confusing conversations where it probably never meant to go this route, but yet here we are. Um, And so that's a thing. And... um, so then we go to the horse races, which wait, is hold on. cool. Wait, hold on. I got to nope. bring something oh. up real quick. Uh, yeah, um. I got to bring something up too and then put it back down because it's <laughs> making my pants tight. <laughs> um, I want to bring up something that Al and I talked about on the Naked You Die podcast, which is um, <laughs> Al made this great joke because in the Naked You Die oh, yeah movie the the um you know what i'm gonna say in the naked you uh, die I do. <laughs> the opening scene of naked you die the woman's in a bathtub and the water in the bathtub is on the green side of things tinted yeah. and i mentioned that to al and he said oh don't you know all of us italians bathe in olive oil and <laughs> it was a really funny joke and he's like no as far as i know i've never seen a bathtub where when you fill it it looks green and we just moved on with the with the rest of the discussion. And now here we are again. I'm looking at the fucking scene. And Helen is in this bathtub. And the water is really green. And yeah. I just thought I'd bring it up again because I don't know what to, to make of it. <clears throat> is it fluoride? <laughs> is there fluoride in the water? Because here's something that trips me out about this apartment that I'm in now. Like, I fill the ba- the bathtub's white, okay? I put water in the bathtub, uh-huh. and the water's fucking turquoise. But if I look at the water, uh-huh. like, not in the bathtub, the water is not turquoise. The water is watercolor, which is no color. It's clear. But in the bathtub, <laughs> it's fucking turquoise. And it bothers me because it makes me think there's something in the bathtub that's making the water a color that it shouldn't be. But then I'm like, but the ocean's really dark, but that's because it's deep. Is it? Or is no. it because there's sand in it? Why it's is the not... ocean dark? I could pick up ocean water and it's water. <laughs> but my bathtub water is water, we, but it's turquoise. We need to put like we need to interject in post-production a little clip from Bill Nye the Science Guy right here. Bill Nye the Science Guy. Bill Nye the Science Guy. Um, Somebody yeah. has to do something. So, so from what I understand, 
the la- the larger amount of volume of water you get, the more blue it gets. And that's because it diffracts or it, it does something with the light because of the density of the water, it changes the light spectrum to be tinted blue, which is why parts of the spectrum. Right. So when you look at a swimming pool, it looks blue, even though water is clear, but that wouldn't necessarily, I mean, so that would explain Matt, your thing, but I wouldn't explain the green. It would explain the green. If we are thinking about old film stock, that turns orange. Okay. So if in the original print of this movie, the first time you watched it, if the water was a light blue, over time and the film stock turning that orange color, does that turn the light turquoise color a pale green color? (laughs) That would make all the light blues a pale green. Yeah, but why wouldn't anything else in the film look be affected by this? How do you know it's not? Just the bathtub. We don't. I know think she's working we... on her olive complexion. Yeah. So. <laughs> so I mean, it could be like, like a bath bomb. Like maybe they just have like. That's what I think. Yeah, she's got yeah. a ton of jars and bottles, you know, all around the tub. So oh, know, maybe there was something in the late '60s that was kind of trendy to drop in the bath water. I don't know. I wouldn't hear for that. Or maybe. Chow Chow, episode 12, where we discuss okay. the colors of water in the bathtub. <laughs> All right. How does so, color and water work? I love How this next, this next toilet scene. toilet water isn't blue? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> the water in my toilet isn't blue, and there's a lot of it in there. Okay. Anyway, so now we're going to the horse races. I love okay, this which scene. is good because I um, had to put my bets on a bunch of horses before the show today because I wasn't going to be able to watch. So I wasn't able to actually watch the tote and follow the odds and all that stuff. I had to just guess and hope. So if I have a bunch of winners that come out one to five, I'm going to be fucking livid. So um, <laughs> anyway. So they're at this horse race and they're having the calmest fucking conversation ever, which is absolute bullshit. If you ever go to the fucking horse races, I don't care how fucking rich you are. You're still going to be fucking like losing your shit if your horse isn't fucking coming in or what it's doing. And most races are over in about a minute. So but, like, but let me, they're taking let me, their sweet ass fucking time here. Can I ask a question, though? Because. This seems no. more of an, an equestrian kind of a thing going on that not as like a standard horse race. Cause like they're Truly jumping wild. over obstacles, right? That's not a normal horse race thing. No, that's, that's very much a English kind of horse race. But at the same time, those races still usually won't go over eight fucking furlongs. So it's like, how fucking long can that race be? Like this race took the pace of this fucking movie and it was just like the race that never fucking ended. And I'm just like, fucking, okay, we all know Horse 21 is going to win. Like, why the fuck are we still watching this? Come on, go, go, go. Nobody's well, fucking betting on this, dude. Well, but in the middle of this whole thing, they're talking about whether they need to get divorced. And she no, says that's a, just middle class. We, have, we haven't even got to that part yet. Oh, okay. I'm just all bitching right. about the horses right now, dude. <laughs> <clears throat> because Robert needs his fucking entertainment. So we're talking about the horses. Okay. 
So that was like the coolest fucking thing ever. He's like, um, Helen, do you want a divorce? And she's like, oh, God, that is so middle class. <laughs> and this whole fucking thing. And then, like an awesome fucking well-paced movie, she just goes, well, you know, um, father's mad that I own the company now. And um, by the way, I've left everything to you. So if anything happens to me, you will be very well taken care of, even though like you disgust me and I hate being around you and I'd rather fuck this bitch. But just so you know, you'll always be taken care of. So in case you have any like thoughts of murdering me or anything like that, um, you now have a motive, but it's okay because you know, but nobody knows, you know, so it's like super cool and top secret. So like, no one will ever know that you killed me if you ever decide to kill me. And he's like, oh. and he immediately like, goes from, from <laughs> suggesting divorce to toasting their future. <laughs> oh my fucking God. The conversation. Okay. So then. <laughs> The movie totally redeems itself by putting Helen in this beautiful white mini dress with these fucking amazing boots and this awesome, like, gold link belt. Oh, my fucking God. She's in a room with fucking blue damask wallpaper. And I'm just, like, going, oh, baby, brush your hair some more. Oh, take all the time you want at the vanity. I'll just sit right here. And Liz's outfit is not a slouch either with the fur coat. No. And then here's the whole thing. Then, like, Liz is wearing this beautiful fucking leopard fur fucking coat thing. And I'm like, oh, this is good. And then you know what fucking Helen does? She's like, bitch, hold my fucking beer. And then she goes and gets this fucking gorgeous (laughs) dark brown leather coat with fucking dark brown fur trim. Oh my fucking coat orgy. (laughs) I was like fucking, I was slamming my fucking desk. I was like, no, no. Oh my God. (laughs) The coats in this fucking movie. The coats. Oh, okay. So anyway, I need to calm the fuck down here. Um, And then she's like, oh yeah, I need to go on this vacation. And Liz is like, can I come? And she's like, well, do you want to come? She's like, well, no, I can't. And she's like, okay, well, fuck. And then, so they're having this big talk. Then they go downstairs. And then we see this like horrible, horrible scar on Helen's neck. And we see her cigarette case. All of the things that we're supposed to be keeping track of in our fucking minds to remember. The scar was done very poorly. Yeah, there's going to be some issues we're going to have with this later. Um, And then for some reason, her dad is there. And what's funny is he's her dad till the very end of the movie where all of a sudden he's her fucking stepdad. And maybe I fucking missed something there, but I thought he was her dad the whole fucking time. Okay, and um, that little tidbit of information might have been fucking useful earlier. But um, nonetheless, um, well, so, doesn't doesn't he introduce doesn't he introduce the topic like before we see Helen's scar and her um, and she's packing up to leave? He's down there going. She's just like her mother. Um, yeah, because her mom was a fucking big old dyke that was like fucking <laughs> girls all the time, and I couldn't fucking get my fucking dick in there for fucking five dollars to save my fucking life. Uh, yeah. So the apple don't far fall from the tree and the peach don't fucking fall far from the tree from the All fuzz. Right. But, yeah. but, uh, 
going going back to one other thing um does it seem odd that it seems like the father owns the company or used to but for some reason helen has 90 percent of the shares in the company which makes her <clears throat> father an employee basically but how could how would that even happen? The mom had to have been the owner of the company, and when the mom died, and I guess this is oh, maybe right. something that happens in England because that's another thing. We're in fucking London for fuck's sake. Um, so I don't know if community property and shit like that happens the same way in England as it does here. Maybe there was like some prenuptial agreement, which is like, hey, I'm going to own this company. Or maybe he was just like a stock boy and she's like, oh, he's got a cute ass. I'll marry him and just give him 10% of the company. And then she died and gave it to her kid. Well, yeah, it's, prob it's probably the same setup as the current setup with 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 uh, John and Helen, right? Like it doesn't Except seem like he has any money to to his own credit. Well, it's just yeah. Well, he has a job at the company, and he's probably making a pretty good salary. Oh, it probably yeah. doesn't matter at all because they obviously live in a mansion. You see all the wood paneling in the in the living room, and that's usually an indicator of well. And a high Which is weird for because lemon here, large. wood paneling is a um, uh, a clue of living in a trailer. Yeah, so, that's, that's true. Well, well, that's the cheap wood paneling. But you guys bring up here. something that I wanted to discuss, which is: Did you all get confused as to where everybody was living? Like I, I didn't know we were supposed to know anyone other than Helen and John. Like the the house that that we see in the beginning before Helen leaves and takes her Jaguar and crashes it. Um, but then the next when he comes back from his vacation and he's at a location and then he goes to another location, which seems to be where the father lives and where the secretary is. And then there's another, like, it just seemed like there were a million locations and they all looked the same on the inside. I thought that was the business. I mean, it looked like a house. But it, I know they all look the same. Like, and that's the other thing that's fucking hysterical here. Because again, we're doing one of these movies where we have no fucking idea what the actual business is. But like when they're like, Oh, what about the merger with the French company? Well, shit. I don't know. I'm, like, we have no idea what they do. We have no idea what the fuck anything is. And it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. But yeah. Well, there was a sign at one point that I saw where it said importer, exporter. Was that? Yeah, but then he's referred to as an industrialist. So, <laughs> which is. Yeah, probably was, doesn't uh, matter. Um, I import and I export textiles. What was that, Seinfeld? Okay, anyway. Yeah. Um, so here's Art, Art, Art Vandelay. Art Vandelay. Art fucking Vandelay. That's yeah. <laughs> importer. I thought he was an architect. He, he also oh, an architect, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> but he um, okay, was an importer, so, exporter. Elaine's boyfriend. Right. Let me let me ask you guys this question because this is going to come <laughs> up in a, in a second here. 
for a reason that I didn't think about. Okay. Did you guys notice all the fucking clocks in this house before the cop noticed it later? Uh, no. I did not. Okay. I just thought I was going crazy. Okay, so she comes down the stairs with her little shitty fucking dog called Suki that has one bark that they just play on repeat like a hundred times in a row. <laughs> and that's okay. Cause we will forget that Suki fucking exists and we're going to have a problem with this in a little bit. And I'll tell you why. Okay. So anyway, so the dad saying her mom was a fucking dyke, whatever. Um, <laughs> the handheld portions of this movie are a little weird. Like, I'm so They're glad very brought, jarring. I'm so glad you brought this up because I don't know shit about making movies, but I'm watching these first scenes where Helen is getting ready to leave and John is watching her and it looks like the the filming is a little bit shaky and I'm like, okay, this obviously is handheld and maybe that's the style that they were going for. But then later on in the movie, you can clearly tell that something different is happening whether they have the thing on a tripod or a dolly or a combination of those things but did yeah i don't think i don't think this is dolly and again this is one of those things and the, the thing you have to keep in mind too is that like the steady cam wasn't invented until the like late 70s right so if <clears throat> if any of these people are shooting handheld or anything like that it's tricky to do but like when you watch movies that baba did around this time or even a little bit before <clears throat> his handheld stuff is a lot steadier than the handheld you're going to see in this thing yeah. and i honestly feel like <clears throat> sorry i'm like choking um i honestly think it, it's a budgetary concern because a lot of the um the wobbles you get in this movie, like in most movies, they would go like, oh shit, I kind of fucking stumbled on that. We're going to need to do that again. And mm. the fact that that was not something done in this, I mean, again, I wasn't there to know, but the wobbles and all the fucking, um, cause like the, it's one thing to have like a handheld cam going, but then it's another thing when like the cam, like, tilts 45 degrees and then comes right back yeah. you know like it's like your camera guy isn't strong enough to hold this fucking camera up and walk around um but normally um takes like that would be redone unless you didn't have time to redo it because you didn't have the money to keep doing stuff like that right you were so, under a, under a deadline or whatever yeah okay but um, there's a scene um that later on after John comes back from his little fling after, you know, after he goes away after the funeral or whatever. And he walks into this room and the secretary is at the desk in the top left corner of the screen. And he walks towards the front of the, of the frame and the camera moves very fluidly. And then just, it, it moves backwards and then it tilts to the left and if you ever go, if you go back to it, I don't know what the, the time marking is, the timestamp is, but if you, if you go back and watch that, you'll see that there's no wobble. And I noticed a big difference. And I don't know if like you're saying, Matt, that the person who was in charge of holding the camera just was steadier that day. 
or did they really change the setup so that the camera was on something that would keep it steady and that you know for that one scene where john is walking towards the front of the frame they moved it on a dolly track backwards or something like yeah um i i found that really interesting because i was just expecting to see more of the handheld stuff and by the way we could talk about if we're talking about budgetary concerns, the train hitting the car in the beginning. Oh, my fucking and, God. And then the car exploding later on. <laughs> like, we're we're getting to that. And that was seriously, like, probably one of the funnest parts of this movie. But we're going to get to that. Because I have to say that around this time in the movie, the green couch is starting to grow on me. I didn't like it at first. But after now seeing it like two or three times in the movie, I'm kind of digging it. So that's okay. Um, obviously, whenever you see a cigarette case that has a um, initial on it, embellishment, you know that that's going to come up. And um, the only reason why I'm bringing this up now is because we're going to have to talk about how all these things fit together. Yeah. Because there are huge problems here. Okay. <clears throat> I'm looking for the green couch. I've got the movie going, but I don't see it. Okay. Well, it's the one oh, the dad is sitting on. I see it now. Yes. Okay. So, um, the other thing here is is that um, let's see, uh, we have okay, the inspecting of the car. So this happens in this little bit right here, and I don't know if this is one of those things because I didn't watch it with the subtitles. I watched the dub, but I did notice I'm like, Oh, they're putting a bomb in this car. And then I'm like, Oh, that bomb has like a pocket watch on it. That's interesting. And the person's wearing black gloves. That's interesting. And then they make a point to make sure that in almost every fucking scene that John is in, he has black gloves on, which I thought was a nice touch. Yes, okay. I noticed that too. So, but there is this like focus on this pocket watch on this bomb that is put into um, the wheel well of the car. And I will say that I don't think I've ever seen a tire come off a car and put back on with such ease as I saw in this movie. Whoever is the person who placed the bomb on this car I would love for them to be able to work on my car because it seems to take the mechanic fucking ages to get my tires on and off. And this guy was a fucking prince. And if you like Jaguars, you're going to fucking like this movie because there's a lot of Jags in this fucking movie. Well, and then some like weird red Pontiac or something like that. I don't know. But, I, but um, I'm looking at it now and it almost looks like he just takes the rim off. Oh, no, no, no. I see the whole tire go. Yeah. Okay. You're right. Yeah. It's, yeah, the whole it's, tire yeah, there's not like a series of lug nuts. It's just no. that, that one central thing is, that holds the wheel. Is on. that how Jags put their wheels on? It's just like a screw. I would kind of hope not, but I don't think too much about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't okay. know. Okay. So anyway, so we're supposed to make note of this clock. We don't know this yet, but we will later. Okay, so anyway. Um, so there's this she's like just like burning rubber through the countryside whatever and then it goes to the crash now 
I don't know how much time you want to take on this crash, but it is a toy car <laughs> on a model like <laughs> scenery. And it like goes tink 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 and then it goes off and goes poof and blows up. And it's hit by a Lionel train. Oh <laughs> my god. It was a thing of fucking beauty. Like whoever set that whole thing up did not get paid enough. Because that, <laughs> my friends, was the bitchinest fucking shitty toy explosion car crash thing that you've ever fucking seen. The explosion looked cool, like everything, like, oh my god, I've seen so many of these look like shit, and this was done with fucking <laughs> beauty. It was, it was great, I loved it. I got so excited. Well, there, um, was, a, there was a scene in um, The Case of the Scorpion's Tale, where um, the main character in the beginning of the movie, her husband is a pilot, and she goes to lay down to go to sleep, and then they cut to... The fact that the the husband's plane explodes in some sort of crash. And it was the same deal. Like, they just showed, like, a model airplane exploding. (laughs) But, yeah, dude, I'm looking at this. This was so cool because, like, you had, like, a whole model countryside. Like, it wasn't just, like, a little toy car, like, on, like, blacktop. Like, right. oh, it's blowing up. Like, dude, we had, like, oh, my God. Like, people who play, like, fucking D&D and do the whole, like, let's get our little characters and move through the fucking shit. <laughs> right. Like, like, they, oh, my God. <laughs> this thing is fucking beautiful, dude. I loved it. Okay. So then, like, they're like, oh, shit, she's dead. Oh, no. And here we are. And we're here now. And, like, oh, here's her passport. It's obviously her. She's fucking dead. Everyone's looking at not really suspicious, but not really not suspicious. Oh, fuck. Who could it be? I don't know. Then they get on a plane, and this part was so fucking cool. You went from a bitchin' fucking explosion car crash to this fucking gem. They're on a fucking airplane, and the pilot's talking too loud. And they're like, can you fucking close that? It closes the curtain, and all of a sudden, you can't hear the pilot anymore. Because this curtain can fucking control sound. Um, so that cracked me up. Well, before that, when they show the plane, it's a small prop plane. Yes. Like a, and and then they cut to the interior where it's obviously supposed to be like a private jet. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no way that the interior that we saw would have fit inside the plane that they exactly. showed us at the beginning. Yeah. And they're flying back from Liverpool to London, and she's already in the casket, and they already have the the funeral wreaths and everything dude this whole thing was so fucking hard to follow (laughs) and then because the guy's like you know what you should do you should fucking go on vacation you know like that that would be like good you should go on vacation he's like okay yeah sure and then there's two other people in the plane looking at him kind of awkwardly i didn't know who the fuck they were so who was this was this his secretary and or was that liz because Liz and Alice um, looked too similar to me to be able to tell who the fuck was who. Well, the problem I think that was Alice in the yeah. plane. Okay. Yes, it was. And Alice. Who was the dude the, next to? The problem with Liz is that she's right. always wearing a short, pixie cut, brunette wig, until the very last scene. 
And you're like, who the fuck is that? Dude, um, I didn't fucking know who it was either. I'm like, <laughs> oh, it's you. I knew it was you. I'm like, well, I didn't. I still don't. <laughs> who the fuck's that? Okay. Um, yeah, so I think there's was... a reason that Mr. Brown is suggesting he goes on vacation. And there's a yeah. reason that ties in with the end of the film. Right. Yeah. And, and we'll get to Mr. Brown's plans because he yeah. had a lot of them. Um, so he's like, okay, I'm going to go on this trip. And then it cuts to this like establishing shot of some drab fucking place. And I'm like, okay, is this where he's going? Is this where he's not? What the fuck's happening right now? I have no idea. And then these cops are like, I don't like this. I have a problem with this case, something I don't like. And I'm just like, where the fuck are we? Just tell me where the fuck we are and I'll be okay. So yeah, they should John, have shown us a sign that said Scotland Yard or something. Yeah. And then again, for people who don't know about the UK, it's confusing because like they're in London, but what the fuck does Scotland Yard have to do with London? But then Scotland Yard does all of the UK, right? I think so. Well, I hope so. Cause I, I don't know. That was just my guess. Um, Okay, so John comes back to the company, and the dad's like, I see her everywhere. And he's like, yes. And I know you. I knew you would come back today, because today, what was the day? I can't remember what birthday. the day was. Her birthday. It's her fucking birthday. Like, why the fuck would yeah, he come back to Karnak, the magician? Or... Yeah, that didn't make any okay. sense to me at all. Was that the oh, cop? Okay. No, this was the dad. Oh, was it the cop? No, the cop was. No, saying, it was the I cop knew you were gonna... said, I, I knew oh, you'd that's be right. back yeah, today yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's your wife's birthday. Yeah. Okay. Now, here's another thing that this movie has a problem with. And now that we're in, like, basically the second act, um, the movie's going to be plagued with this. They realize that their movie is way too fucking short to fit six reels. <laughs> and they need to figure out a way to make this movie long enough. Oh my to be God. able to fill fucking six wheels. So you'll notice every scene should end and then it doesn't. And then it just kind of lingers and goes on a little bit more, maybe 30, 45 seconds. And so when um, John leaves the dad's office, it shows the dad sitting there and he's sucking on a cigar, but no smoke's coming out. So he starts sucking really hard and really vigorously but before a plume of smoke comes out, before they fucking cut the scene, I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, I know how cigars work. You don't need to fucking, like, hit me over the head with it. And then John's secretary walks up, and she's like, hey, I want you to forget all of this horrible shit. You're acting like da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, oh, so he was cheating on fucking his wife that he's in love with, with his secretary? Like, this whole... Thing. And there was one little line that Helen said yeah, about say, his Didn't she mention that, like at the at the racetrack? But she didn't yeah, say what was the fuck she was talking about. And then again, when they're at the racetrack, I didn't even know that Liz was her secretary. I thought Liz was just the chick she scissored. Like I didn't know she had to have a fucking thing. But then at the same time, she's not her secretary because later she's apparently some stage actress somewhere, right? Yeah, she couldn't go on the trip because she had theater work to do. Yeah. 
So I'm confused. Maybe she wasn't a secretary. I don't know what the fuck's going on. I'm just trying to watch a movie. <laughs> and then the cops start snooping around. And the um, he, they come in and um, John is like, oh, have a seat, Mr. Cops. And they're like, no, we'll stand. And he's like, oh, okay. Well, let me ask you some questions. Can't you see that I'm fucking busy? It's like, make up your mind. Like, do you want them to stay or do you want them to go? Like, none of this dialogue made any fucking sense. And no. so then he just goes over and stands next to the desk. And he's like, um, yeah, send this letter that I've obviously already made out to um, this guy. Um, it's like, put a stamp on it. Oh, now this needs to go to this person. But all of them are already done. So what the fuck is he telling her to do? I'm confused. I don't understand what's going on. He's trying to I look think busy. He's trying to look busy. It's the most non-busy job anyone could ever have in the history of forever. Because he doesn't go to work for the next fucking 80 fucking days. And obviously, it's not that big of a deal. Like, he just decides he's not going to go to work anymore. And that's fine. Whatever. I don't, I don't need to argue about this. Um, and then one of the cops asks him if he's going to be returning to his house. No, he's going to the if, fucking Savoy. Yeah, but what does that have to do with anything? Like, that would be some sort of uh, an indication of guilt or something. Exactly. Or they oh, just well, wanted he to had no problem on going on vacation after his wife died. Hell, he probably doesn't have a problem sleeping at the house either because he's guilty as hell. It, what? Yeah, because if, and then that um, night he does end up going home. I know. And I think this whole thing, because here's the thing. This was what was weird. He was driving maybe to the Savoy and he stopped by a flower shop and then he's like, oh, shit. I forgot to change the dead flowers out before I went on my trip. So he buys mm. flowers to take back to the house because he doesn't like the idea of there being dead flowers in the house. Although we have no thought of why he even likes flowers. Cause if we recall, he strangled a rose earlier in the movie. Mm. So what the fuck yeah, does he do? And why is he driving like a drunken maniac when he's going to the Savoy? Because he's drunk. Did you notice every time we see him driving through the city streets, he never has his headlights on? I right. know. Yeah. Because That's if you had Is that the a thing in England? On, no, but if you had the headlights on, they'd be shining at the camera and you wouldn't be able to tell that he was driving a Jag. Like, so for. Yeah, for you that, think you're watching a J.J. Abrams movie or something. Exactly. Lens flare. Okay, Sorry. so he fucking goes to the house to change the flowers and then he hears music playing and this is the song i actually liked um, this is the song the, that was also playing in the bathtub scene when liz yeah. and helen were together right yeah mm -hmm. and what's awesome about this part is that he lights candles and to illustrate <laughs> candlelight somebody shines a flashlight at him because <laughs> if you are ever holding candles the candles will not cast shadow of candles on the wall. Exactly. And when they're doing the handheld going up the stairs, <laughs> this is so <laughs> fucking awesome. They're going, he's walking up the stairs and the camera's like kind of going backwards, following him up. But the guy, because they turn, the guy who's shining the flashlight in his face can't also turn and shine the flashlight in his face because the camera gets in the way. So all of a sudden he's in darkness and then the flashlight pops back up at him. It's fucking hysterical. It's good shit. And oh, yeah. I was wondering, okay, he lights the candles. 
so we're assuming that because he was gone for three weeks and his wife is dead, they turn off the electricity. So he lights the candles, but then he hears that song playing upstairs. Yeah. So what did he think was powering the tape player? You know, the little dog know, but then on at a the same time when he goes wheel. into the bathroom, the lights are already on in the bathroom. And he's still carrying the candles. But doesn't she say that the power was out too? Maybe it was a battery operated reel to reel player. I don't remember. Well, you know, I, that's my guess. Time I, batteries. I, I looked and there's a power cord coming out of that reel to reel player. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I think yeah, the lights are on when he, goes, when he finds her in the shower. Yeah, they're on inside the bathroom, but not on. And he immediately the turns on the lamp when he goes into the bedroom to inexplicably kick this girl out of the house. <laughs> yeah, so here, here's here's the big shocker. Um, <laughs> like, like what happens whenever you don't go home for a while, when you go back, there will be a naked woman in your shower. Not only a and, naked um, woman, but like a, an 18-year-old ridiculously hot naked woman. Okay, and if she's exactly when I'm 10, so, um, <laughs> okay. like, well, yeah, this woman is not 18, but I, I get the, I get it. So she's like, hey, I'm just an 18 year old who hopped a fence. And, um, immediately with all of the riches that this house has inside of it, they need better security because yeah. people come and go in this fucking house like it's fucking like nothing. Okay. Um, so the gold, he, the gold in, in that scene everywhere. Oh, yeah. In that bathroom. The bathroom's like fucking closet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like you expect to see like somebody coming down the escalator. Oh, so <laughs> <laughs> These so, immigrants um, are taking showers from us. <laughs> Let's build a wall, a gold one. So he's like, bitch, get out of here. Put your fucking clothes on. And she's like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. And um, so they argue a bunch. <laughs> and then um, he's like, oh, I'm going to start pouring myself a drink. And she's like, holy shit, you keep whiskey and books? I didn't even think to fucking look there. And he's like, oh, okay, well, um, you know, I'm making a drink. Bitch, get out. And she's like, I want a drink because, like, I need a drink. And so he gives her a drink out of his drink into another glass. And he's like, drink that and get the fuck out. And she hears lightning, and so she gets scared. And so he pushes her, and she's like, oh, you fucked me up. Like, you're going to have to, like, I'm, I'm stuck with you now. And um, he's like, come on. I'll, he barely I'll touches her, and she has a huge bruise on her arm. Yeah, right. It's like Johnny Depp. This doesn't jive with something <laughs> we see later. I'm sorry, what? Johnny, Johnny Depp reference. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, this, so topical. this was weird, dude. Okay, so now they're driving in the car, and um, he just puts the brakes on. He hasn't, I didn't think he turned the fucking car off. She runs out of the car, and she's like, you're going to have to follow she's me got, now. Yeah, she's got his, keys, she his yeah. keys. And she's standing like 50 feet away from the car before she shakes the keys to let him know, whatever. So he goes into this club. Now, let's talk about this fucking club for a minute. Oh, oh my God. This club is like a long, narrow room where people dance and people on motorcycles ride back and forth in this very, again, small room 
where you're allegedly able to hear music and dance over the sound of these motorcycles. And as the motorcycle guys drive by, they rip your clothes off and it's funny. (laughs) And we're just having a good fucking time. And again, this place is the size of a fucking thimble and Klaus Kinski can't find this chick. And we spend an enormous amount of time again, because this movie is not six reels long. (laughs) <laughs> we spend it's almost so much four time total. looking at the I can't fucking believe it was four minutes the fact <laughs> that you said that makes me fucking sick that it was about four minutes Yeah, we uh, look at the same fucking people every fucking two seconds over and over oh. I, I noticed I saw Sid Barrett the monkeys and half of Oasis in that crowd <laughs> and they kept showing them over and over again yeah and with all those people, you could seriously only get three girls to take their top off. And like, hey, we're just. And in that small space, you're A, you're listening to music. B, you have these motorcycles, which aren't exactly quiet. No. And the exhaust from those yeah. motorcycles, everybody would be on the floor within five minutes. Well, I'm wondering. I didn't see anyone drinking. Are they just getting high off the fumes? Yeah. Is this just like a. <laughs> Like we're fucking, oh my God. So anyway, so he finally sees her as DD because she wasn't there. Let me ask a question real quick. Go, go, Um, With regard to this scene, um, I feel as if, you know, you don't see scenes like this at, to this extreme um, in the early seventies. It seems like 67, 68, 69, Anytime they got a group of young people together with music, it just, it was ridiculous. Like, this is ridiculous. And, you know, I I love it that they're doing this because I can give them a point for hippies dancing on the Jalo score. (laughs) But, um, you know, I don't know. There was another movie that I watched recently called Murder by Music, which we haven't covered yet that has a very same vibe to this specific scene, like throughout the whole movie. Um, But do you, do you guys think that this was an over exaggeration of trying to like, let the movie audience know, Hey, we understand what's going on in the culture right now. Like it's, it's kids out of control. It's drugs, it's nudity, it's psychedelic lighting. It's, it's, rock and roll like obviously you guys have both made plenty of you know you cited plenty of evidence as to why you couldn't really have this thing happen for more than five minutes without it being a safety issue but it was that it seems like all of these films from this from the from the late 60s when they have a montage where they're dancing and there's drugs and it seems like the swinging you know kind of culture that it's over exaggerated to like the nth degree on purpose. It is, but like I also think they did this in the 70s too, because like they do this in torso and to a smaller extent, um uh your vice is a locked room and yeah. Um they did this in uh that movie with the chick with the beautiful big red hair, um lizard skin. Yeah, yeah, okay. They do this kind of shit. So, I mean, I don't think it's just the late 60s, but I feel like 
Um, I don't know if this was like a worldwide thing or if this was just an America thing, but Americans were terrified of hippies. Right. And whenever you had someone who was affluent, like John, now having to like lower himself to go into the scum of the earth to <laughs> right. like figure out this shit, um, yep. that was probably a big deal. But I feel like when you get into the 70s, as opposed to the sixties in the seventies, the people who are being pulled into this world aren't as above it as they were in the sixties. So like, like your perversion story and this, you know, like you have, um, people of a higher class going being dragged into this. Whereas like in, um, the locked vice movie, like the guy was having them at his house. Right. That you see the the tide change from what they thought about it in the sixties to what they thought about it in the seventies. Well, that's a really good point because it seems like if you're dealing with social class, then John Alexander is like in the aristocrat like level of social class, mm-hmm. and not necessarily the bourgeois. Because, like as I understand it, the bourgeois is. Still, they still have jobs, but they have white collar jobs as opposed to the the poor people, the proletariat people, right? But the aristocrats were like, "Yeah, we don't work at all. We have, you know, we're we're wealthy." And it looks like what you're saying, Matt, is that, and I kind of agree. In my experience in watching these, is that the contrast between the classes was very stark in the early '60s, and then as it gets into the '70s. That counterculture is a little bit more accepted by yeah. the non-counterculture. And now you have this new like class of people in the 70s, like the jet set people who, you know, they still have jobs and they still have to work, but they're, you know, they're taking advantage of being able to go to horse races or they're gonna go to skeet shooting or you know something in, you know, like Lindsay had that in his movies. You know what? So, let's let's look at it like this too. In the 60s, how old were the big directors making these movies as opposed to the 70s, these directors making these movies? Right. Like, so was there were they in their 20s? Difference? Yeah. Like, Fulci. How old was Fulci? He was probably as old as Baba, right? Well, and the interesting thing is that Fulci is credited with writing the screenplay for this. Oh, well, there you go. I don't know if that means anything. It doesn't mean anything, but you brought up Fulci <laughs> and... If you look at the credits for this film, it was an Edgar Wallace inspired story, but the screenplay was say that to get it sold in Germany. Like, like what story was this actually based off of? I mean, from the the few things I read, they've got a credit to Edgar Wallace as a story by in a couple of different sources. And then when it comes to the screenplay for the film, IMDB and, and Wikipedia and um, one other place that I looked it up show that there are a bunch of people that are given credit for as being a writer for this movie. But Fulci, um, yeah, it says that it's based on a novel by Edgar Wallace. But Fulci oh, is. I cannot wait to fucking read that fucking thing, dude. Jesus fucking Christ. Well, I mean, it's probably not a really large, long book. Like, it's not a six real book, right? Um. <laughs> But Ricardo Freda, the director, has also got a writing credit. So, I mean, you know, I'm sure that... uh, Well, 
What else did he do? The director. He did uh, the iguana with the tongue of fire. Okay. But I think that's it. That's the only thing he else that he's known for. All right. But yeah, I mean, having the hippie dancing scene that's crazy, like I can see that being a Fulci thing because that is something that he would do in other films as well. So, um, yeah. Well, not that it matters, but when this movie was made, Fulci was 42 years old. And this director was 60 years old when the film oh, came out. Shit. Yeah. Because <clears throat> I know Fulci had a huge career. Like, I mean, we know that. Wasn't Fulci banging a bunch of young chicks? Or am I just thinking of <laughs> I something else? I don't know. <laughs> that I didn't research. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Al. He Ricardo was, Freda. Yeah was born in 1909 so he was six, uh, wait if he was born in 1909 he was 60 years old when this came out yeah like you said wow anyway we okay, I, so, I wanted to drop back and talk a little bit more about the the dancing motorcycle scene but we can move on <laughs> sorry robert okay like let's not make robert a meme he had a legitimate gripe yeah right? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'd love to be a meme. That'd be great. Uh, okay, let's not Robert this up. Here we go. Um, so, oh yeah. So he finds her finally, and she like drags him into this room where they're gonna watch a movie. <clears throat> and she's like, "Oh, put on my movie. Put on my movie." <laughs> and um. <laughs> The guy's like, the projectionist is like, I'm creepy looking. Ooh. And so they watch this movie, and we all know where the fuck this is going. And of course, um, she's there. Like, she's getting on the bed. She's going to start fucking fucking this chick, right? With a like a hat on and shit. And she sees a knife on the bed. Um, <clears throat> unlike Amber Heard, when she took the picture. Um, that's a deep cut for you guys there. So she finds this knife and she's like, Oh, and look, she's wearing the snake ring from earlier. Oh my God. That's weird. Oh, look at these big, stupid bald neck. And he brought up the necklaces too. And I'm like, I didn't see her wearing that fucking shit, but maybe she did. And I missed it. The pearls Um, you mean? If you call those pearls, they look like as big as fucking goddamn fucking whatever's. Yeah, right, but I, I thought that they were referring to the fact that he put the pearl necklace on her right before she left the house. That one, that one. Scene. Oh, I think later he mentions the pearl necklace in the film, but those that wasn't the pearl necklace that we saw him put on her. Before no, she left. not at all. Right. No. Okay, so she uses this knife to cut off the necklace for some artsy reason i guess and um when she does it we see the scar on the neck and then he's like holy shit that's my wife not because oh i know those areolas anywhere okay? <laughs> no it's because <laughs> exactly. she has a ring on and she has the same scar so he's like holy shit and then he turns and i did a little bit of research oh shit tell um, me i can tell you those two actresses have very different uh, shall we say mammalian profiles and he should have picked up on that immediately okay so the chick who is naked in the film 
Is that Liz? You mean Helen? Uh, no, I'm asking if it's Liz in the film part. It's Liz, yeah. Okay, so by looking at her nipples, you knew that that was Liz under the hat. I'm, okay, I more knew that it wasn't Helen, because Helen has very distinct... Uh, Areolas. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So... Obviously, John likes to fuck with the lights out. I get it. I, well, I, so, Al, was was this the uh, was this the the thing that you wanted to talk about with this particular film with this particular actress, or was that something different? Um, no. What do you mean? I thought you said that you had a very specific reason why you wanted to cover this film. Because oh of, no, that was the, that was the other film. Um, carnal circuit oh oh right okay that was the one i have i got mixed up okay good okay so that we're we still have that coming good so what you're saying is that margaret lee who played uh helen has a different Mm -hmm. breast characteristic profile than um Mm -hmm. the woman who played liz and so yes so when you're watching that scene as someone who in a modern society is able to Google people and look them up on IMDb and see what their nude scenes look like to be able to compare and contrast the breasts. You were able mm-hmm. to, to use that information to actually get more information about the story because you knew yeah. that it wasn't Helen simply by the breast right. profile. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. That's pretty wild. Yeah, and it takes just half a second. I mean, they're so different. And just for the record, <laughs> I did this after I spent about half an hour trying to track down what kind of Jaguars these people are driving around because I thought the white car might be a Rolls Royce. So I had to go through a whole bunch of like 60s era European cars. And uh, yeah, I and later I got to that scene. I thought it was a uh, Rolls Royce too until I saw the hood ornament. Yes. Yeah. So the white um, Jaguar is a Mark II, and the silver one that crashes is an E type. So, oh, so oh, like I spend all my time on Google scoping <clears throat> areola. Well, next time <laughs> you start fucking downloading images of 1960s tits. I expect an email full of passions. <laughs> <laughs> Don't fucking leave me high and dry here, dude. Uh, but dude, like Helen is fucking gorgeous, man. But we're 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 getting off here. So um back to this. <laughs> so he turns and he looks, and the chick who is next to him, what's her name? Christine. Blonde Christine. So Christine yeah. is not there. And fucking the weird, creepy projectionist is not there. And he's like, oh, no, where have they gone? And so he asks these really janky fucking hippie mod types, like, where to find, like, where are they? And um, this chick whose name, I forgot what her name was. It was, like, Butterfly Slit or something like that. I can't remember what he calls her. But um, she, like, is like, oh, you need to go down to the fucking ports where his fucking studio is, you stupid shit. And then he leaves, and then the fucking projectionist is like, you fucking cunt. 
you need to learn how to keep your fucking trap shut. <laughs> and then he punches her because he's crazy because he's a projectionist. <clears throat> Do you guys remember what her name was? No. It doesn't matter. Okay. So does he, does he say her by the name? The projectionist calls her something. I can't remember what he called her. But okay. um, the other guy is like the worst actor in the world. They're like, put sunglasses on this fucking douchebag. He can't fucking keep his fucking face on. All right. So, um, oh, he calls her golden lips. Golden lips. <laughs> That's a name. Okay. So anyway, so somehow or another throughout this thing, he got his keys back. I don't remember that happening, but he's driving his fucking car. So right. whatever. So he drives his car down to the docks. Okay. And um, <clears throat> goes into this uh, like weird um, studio with all these lights around in a circle. And then all the lights turn on and they're like, what do you want? And he's like, uh, and then he walks towards the light and gets punched in the face. <laughs> so then he says, I should probably do that again. And then he walks <laughs> to the light and gets kicked. And he keeps walking towards the lights and fists and feet keep coming at him from behind the light. <laughs> and they fuck him up. Okay. And um, this lasted a long time. And um, there's a part of me that felt like this was actually kind of well done and like a Baba sense of how to do this without actually having to do it. And, um, but at the same time, you're asking your, your lead character to be a fucking idiot to have this continue to go. And as this movie starts progressing, now that we know that John, um, might be our killer, but also is our amateur detective, we realize that he is the worst fucking amateur detective in any fucking movie we've ever watched. And I've been yeah. trying to fucking rack my brain to see if there's anyone who's more clueless than this fucking guy. And I can't think of any. From an amateur detective standpoint, probably not. I mean, typically the amateur detective is the one who figures the shit out because the cops are completely incompetent. Um, I mean, we don't, we don't even get the, satisfaction of him trying to prove his innocence right like we don't know if he's like on the hunt on this case because he's trying to clear his name or trying to clear like whoever killed his wife if somebody killed her if she's still alive we have no idea what his motive even fucking is what? and he's fucking horrible at everything he does it seems to me that his main motive is that well, first of all, look, we we've got to we've got to jump over a couple of hoops here, which is that from the moment that he comes home from his vacation to find Christine in the shower, all the shit that happens after that just seems like so unnecessary, would never happen, is so unrelated to what we expect the story, where we expect the story to go, but ultimately it seems like his main concern is that he's got some sort of an inkling that maybe his wife isn't dead because he saw her in the video. Now, all of the fucking shit that leads up to that 
There's a woman in his shower. He kicks her out. He drives her to where she needs to go because now she can't walk. She steals his his keys. He has to go find her. And then he finally ends up in this room to see this video. And now things get started. Yeah. Um, it's almost like a, a Family Guy episode where they have like the first 10 minutes where they do something <laughs> stupid and you think that that's where the episode's going and then it to- totally switches gears, but they needed the first 10 minutes to set it up in some strange way, you know, and that's like what's happening here. So now it seems like his motivation after he gets, you know, beat up in the director's art studio with all these lights, it seems like now he's on a quest to find out if his wife is really dead or not. Okay. But now at this point, do you, on your first watch of this, did you think that it was possible that he was the one who killed his wife? Yeah, I did. Al? I don't think I did, because that wouldn't have been much of a mystery for Jalo. And it just seemed like everybody was manipulating him every step of the way, and there has to be some reason for that. Right. Like, if well, he'd actually killed her, then... Like, I kept thinking that we were going to maybe get, like, the whole the night Evelyn came out of the grave thing. Like, I didn't know if that was where this was going. Um, like, I honestly didn't know what was happening. But then I was trying to come up with, like, Chris, how you were saying, like, we don't even know he's on a fucking mission until this point in the movie. Okay. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of any other, especially the proto Jally where, um, uh, there, give me a few seconds because my recording stopped and, uh, are we back? Wait, nope. I don't think you can hear me yet. I can hear you on Skype. Um, Okay, where's this thing? Sorry, guys. Uh, Let's see. Is this going to work? This isn't going to last very long. That sucks. (sighs) Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, cool. I can. Um. Okay, so that thing is doing that thing. Okay. Um, But, like, when you follow a character like this in any kind of film that we've looked at or whatever, um, has there been a movie where we didn't really know what the main character's motive was in doing the things that he did? Because we could assume it's he is trying to see if his wife's still alive. But at that point, it's like, is he trying to find out if she's still alive because he killed her and she knows that he tried to kill her? And so if he doesn't find her, he's going to get in trouble? Or is he looking for her because um, he is so joyful that his wife might be alive? Like, Like, we have no fucking clue as to what the fuck it is he's doing. Mm. Right. And and so it was hard to um get behind him as a as a hero, I guess you could say. 
yeah. because we don't know what the fuck his like what he's doing. So anyway, um, yeah, you don't know whether he is like you know. It reminds me a little bit of Hatchet for the Honeymoon, where the main character is like a protagonist, but all at the same time he's the villain. Yeah, and, and like it's perversion story the same way because the perversion story had the voiceover, right? Um, like this one does, and he's talking from the like gas chamber or some shit. Oh yeah, that's right. I haven't seen that film in so long. You're right. Yeah, you just ruined re- it for everyone. So. Sorry, and if I recall, I'm not 100 <laughs> percent on this, but I think. Perversion Story, this movie, and Hatchet for the Honeymoon are all roughly around the same time period, right? Yeah, um, Hatchet for the Honeymoon, I think, is 1970, but um, these two are, I think, the same year, or close to it. Yeah, I think you know, rele- years Release years are different story. than, yeah. Oh, that's true. That is true. But, you know, um, what I was going to say is something that I've completely forgotten. Um there was something I read about the film in IMDb that um, Kinski did not get along with the director. Um, and they had a really kind of combative and tumultuous relationship while they were filming this. And it was, it, they had to convince Kinski to be in this because he read the script or at least was told, I guess, kind of the synopsis of the film and said, I don't want to do this because I don't want to be cast typecast and I don't want to be another villain in the film. And they had to explain to him that actually, no, you're not the villain in the film, but it doesn't, it's not resolved until the end. And, um, it turns out that, uh, Freda, the director got so pissed off with Kinski, according to this Wikipedia article that he was filming the movie with a, a double, and uh, Kinski found out about it and came back and said, I'm sorry, you know, put me back in the movie. Because I guess they, you know, the, the director was just like, I don't, you know, I don't need this nonsense about this guy, like, you know, being a brat. Well, that's interesting because there were a couple scenes like he, um, when he walks the Christine chick out of his place, he looks a little taller and her face is covering where his head is. So you can't see his face, Ah, but also that might be an indication as to why when, um, he decides he's going to be a amateur detective, he puts on a stupid fucking coat and fedora. Like it's fucking 1942. And he's the only motherfucker in all of London dressed like some fucking gumshoe from the fucking 40s and he just looks so fucking out of place but (laughs) if they were doing that on the off chance that if anything happens to him and we need to shoot around it that makes sense now because i just thought that was like just a way to hide his bulbous fucking head but uh, (laughs) right (laughs) it might have been like just covering their ass because of that and also too them writing the movie this way if Klaus Kinski had a run of movies where he was the villain at the end of the movie having him play this part and play it so um, kind of close to the vest which is weird especially when you have a movie that opens up with his narration you would think that we would have a 
more of an insight to him as a character as the movie's progressing. But we know dick about him through the whole fucking movie. But maybe that's and that narration point. disappears pretty yeah. quick. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he was going to be blade runnering it through the whole thing, but after about five minutes, it never came up again. Yeah. By the time they go downstairs after, when she says she's leaving, I think we never hear it again after that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So anyway, so he gets his ass kicked. He wakes up in bed, like all under the covers. Um, and sees Christine um, trying on um, the beautiful coats that are in the coat wardrobe. And Christine's debating back and forth if she's going to have whiskey yet or not. She doesn't know why the fuck this is even in the movie. I have no fucking idea other than they just need to add a running time. And then he finally wakes up. <clears throat> and so she's like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll fucking knock him out now that he's awake. So she gets out the... The, um, the 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 sewman and um and that's the funniest thing too like she's fucking making all this racket opening shit moving shit around but he wakes up because she lit a cigarette and the lighter made a noise and he's like oh what the fuck was that so she gives him some sleeping pills she tells him he's been asleep for like what two days or twelve hours or some shit and um knocks him out again and um. He falls back asleep, whatever. Um, <clears throat> when he wakes up, okay, the coats have been cleaned out of the fucking um, wardrobe. He gets in his car, and if you're ever trying to be sneaky about something, don't ever drive your car down an alley, stop halfway down the alley, get out of the car. And then start walking around the alley, leaving wherever <laughs> the fuck you parked your car. Because there will be some strange man with a cane breaking bottles following you and then not really following you, but actually following you to look out the window to see if you go into the skeezy hotel across the road. And when he gets into that hotel, he goes upstairs and he opens the door, even though the guy told him that there's another dude in there. And he said it'll be more interesting this way. And he goes in. And it's the man with the movie talking to Christine and he buys the movie and everything's fine. And then he leaves the projectionist and then he beats the shit out of Christine because that's <laughs> what he does. Cause he's a man now and he gets the information that he wants. And he finds out that this porno was just shot and cut and edited with sound and developed and all this shit only like five days ago. How could that possibly be? Because movies take a lot longer than that to make. But he doesn't think about that. He's just worried that his wife's dead, but her his dead wife was on this film. But there's one so, other thing that we have to jump back to, which is before he yeah, leaves fast. before he leaves it and walks down the, the street corridor, he walks down the steps after realizing that all the coats are gone, he comes down. The roses are back on the ground again. And then the yeah. tape recorder is going with the song. And there's a lit cigarette in the ashtray. And there's Helen's lighter exactly. cigarette case. And it's all like, it, it all goes back to this like gaslighting thing that they're doing with him. Um, which I was happy about because that's a new criteria for the Jalo score. Um, oh, get, shit. Get a point for gaslighting. They're, they're just trying to like make him either think he's going crazy or 
That's happening. I'm sorry. I can <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Los Angeles, California. Yeah, uh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> the fact um, that it's only happened once so far today is a shock. Yeah, it's a miracle. You didn't hear any helicopters. Um, yeah, but I mean, again, I I still haven't seen that French movie called Diabolique. Um, which everybody refers oh, to as you. like the ultimate inspiration for most of these films because it's like someone dies. It's, but then, it's all built up now. You're not going to like it. Yeah, well, I'm sure. But I mean, I, I can watch it understanding the context and probably appreciate it. But someone dies and then the rest of the movie is is about how these little kind of clues and hints um, appear and the main character is starting to get an, a sense of the fact that the person who died really hasn't died. And this idea was obviously, you know, reused over and over and over and over again. And I think that the film was originally a, a, a written work. I don't, do you guys know where this Diabolique, like the or, origin of it, the story, is it a, a novel or something? I think it was, uh, but I can't, I, I'll help. <laughs> I have no idea right off the top of my head. I'll tell you in a second. This is what Google is for. I think it was a French book called La Diabolique. <laughs> or Lays Diabolique. Lays. Yeah. Lays Miserable. Oh, it's um, based. Okay, it was based on a novel go. called Celle qui n'était plus which means uh, that which is not anymore yep. Boom. So, who was that written by? that was written by well, two writers like two people yeah. Yeah, Pierre Boileau and Thomas Marseillac hmm. so, 1952 English version of that. I will try to hunt that down. That sounds like some good readings. Um, but anyway, the other thing I, for, I forgot to bring up just real quick, because um, all the gas on things you just brought up, we, we will be coming back to talk about that. But um, the best bit is when he's beating the shit out of Christine, he's like, like, who was she? Who was she? The countess, who was she? She's the wife of some industrialist. Why do you want to know anyway? Well, let's just say I'm an industrialist. I'm like, oh, you're so <laughs> fucking like smooth, dude. <laughs> like she'll never put two and two together. Oh my god, super smooth. He's yeah. He's the guy. I don't think he cares yeah. anymore at this point. No, but then that was the thing that I was having a problem with is that there are pictures of his wife all over the house that this chick has been hanging out in for days, allegedly. And how did she not know that that was the chick, like, when they were doing their hardcore sex movies, was she wearing a veil the whole time? She's wearing the hat, yeah, the whole time. So, right? have you ever fucked someone with a hat on? The hat does not stay on. <laughs> I think she's <laughs> in on the whole gaslighting plot, right? She would have to be, you would think. Seems like everybody's up on this. Well, I mean, she's got to know that she didn't make the video with his wife. 
I mean, right. I, I don't see how you could make that video and at some point not see her face either before uh-huh. or after the shooting. Okay, well, check this out. Here's then where she disappears basically place. from the film, right? I mean, she like does. She's, she's not in the end. I mean, she basically she takes him to the rave thing and drags him into the porno place and shows him this video of supposedly his wife with an all of you know, this in the movie, and that's not a coincidence, crazy. right? Exactly. Yeah, like, this was all. Set she's up. obviously in on it. So then, um, the cops were there. Um, and that's what I wrote in my notes. I don't know what the fuck that means. Um, I think they were talking to the dad because he was telling the dad, Hey, I got this movie where your daughter is like fisting this other chick and she has a scar. Um, you gotta come over to my house and watch it. Yeah, but let's let's sit around and have a circle jerk watching your kid fuck some chick. Um as it's you okay. Do. He's a stepdad. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah now we know that I know that works. Um, but then this was the part of the movie that I was like, what the fuck are they talking about? So they get to the wreckage of the car because the cops are still like, something's weird here. I don't understand. They go to the wreckage of the car and he's like, hey, get up there with some fucking pliers and get that thing for me. And so they get this little fucking piece of tin and they're looking at it with pliers and they seem to know something that we don't. And they look at it for a long time. Something has changed their mind about something. And now something is starting to make sense. And the cop refers to it as a self-exploding device. And I'm thinking, what kind of Scotland Yard double speak is that? It's called the fucking bomb. (laughs) That's it. It's a self-exploding device. How is that piece of whatever the fuck that was like evidence of a self-exploding device? Like, is it because it wasn't a part of the car, but didn't the car blow up? Like, wouldn't parts of metal be... I don't know. Like, the whole thing was weird. I didn't understand what was happening. Um, But again, I'm not a cop. Well, then he gets the stepdad over at the house and they're, they're getting together to like jerk off to watch some porn. And um, as they're watching the porn, the chick in the movie is a different chick. The scar's not there. The right. ring's not there. Ring's gone. Yep. Uh-huh. How the fuck did this happen? <laughs> this doesn't make any fucking up. sense. He has to be going crazy. Right? Okay, so now we go, oh, he's crazy. So then the cop comes back, and he's like, oh, wasn't that Mr. Brown who just left? And he's like, well, it might have been. And they're like, oh, let's chat. Let's talk. And so um, they're doing this talk, and then we realize there's ticking. And the ticking's going crazy. And the cop is standing by the fireplace, and they're talking about some shit. That doesn't matter. That's not the point I'm making here. But then we scan the room and we realize there are 37,000 clocks in this room. And then also next to the fireplace, there's a glass case of pocket watches. And he's like, oh, you like clocks, huh? And he's like, yes, I, I do like clocks and I wind them all myself. He's like, that's a lot of work. And he's like, yes, 
it takes up the majority of my time since I don't go to work anymore. I <laughs> fucking watches all day. And I'm sitting here going, when the fuck were they going to let us know that he's got a clock kink? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, they've been showing us all these other clues that we we're supposed to keep paying attention to uh, keep track of, right? The, the ring, the scar, the cigarette case. But they never showed us the clocks until now. Yeah. And then this is when I'm like, what the fuck? The cop's <laughs> leaving and he's like, oh, so your garage is over there, huh? And he's like, yeah. And that's where the Jag was parked? And he's like, yeah. Oh, not in front of the house then. No. Like I said, over there in the garage. Oh. And you know the funny thing about the clock and the Jaguar? I could never seem to get it right. It was always an RFS. <laughs> and the cop's like, holy shit, this case just dun, dun, broke dun. wide open. And I'm like going, what the fuck are <laughs> What are they, they talking, talking about? about? Right? I'm like, what does that mean at all? Like, was the clock on the bomb an hour fast? How did he know there was a clock on the bomb? I didn't even think that inside the car, there would be a clock. Like, it took there's a clock in the dashboard, probably. Yeah. yeah. Well, we found that out after the cop's really sexy secretary got him the fucking file on this case. Uh, right. And that was a joke. He's not a sexy secretary. Okay, so when he set the timer on the bomb, he set it for five o'clock. Right? right. Yes. And it's I guess. An hour, and it's so an hour apparently w- when the car crashed, the dashboard clock would have said six o'clock. Right. Yes. And that's what that's, it showed. What difference does that make to anything? Because well, the fucking found... cop said that the Mr. Brown said the explosion happened at five. We didn't see this conversation, but that's how they knew he had done it because he thought that the explosion happened at five, even though the clock on the dashboard said six. Okay. So the way the cops solved this case was from information that we were never told until the very end of the movie when the cop was doing the, this is how I figured it out. Right. Okay, so do you think Mr. Brown is the one that put the cl- the bomb in the car? Yeah, it had to have been, I guess, or someone he set up to do it. It couldn't have been Liz because okay. Liz was with him. Liz was with right. her when that happened. Yeah, Liz was with her. He was downstairs on the green couch having his little cut club meeting with John. And, and then, then he gets up the and goes to the garage to put a bomb in the car, and then he comes back? Because then no, that's see, when... But again, this is the whole thing, but this movie is not playing fair. This movie no, doesn't I want you to that. figure out the fucking thing. Right. Like, they put people in a certain place at a certain time, and then put the actual fucking crime happening in the middle of it, even though it probably couldn't have taken place during that time to make us think that everyone who was in this scene couldn't have done the thing. But then at the same time, Klaus Kinski is wearing fucking the same black gloves through the whole fucking movie. Right. Well, my question is question I have is at, at this point when the cops get the information, I guess we find out at the end, they use this information about the, the clock in the car being an hour 
fast or slow or whatever. They use that as a way to explain how they figured out it was Mr. Brown. But at how, who are we who are, who do we think that they think is responsible right now? At this point in the film, do the cops still think it's John and you know him admitting to the fact that he's a clock person and that he could never get the clock in the Jaguar fixed? Is that him kind of revealing his guilt to the cops? I think that's what we're supposed to think. Okay. But I think according to, like the cop wouldn't have given a shit about the clock thing unless he thought there was a problem with someone's story. But then at the same time, how the fuck would Brown have known what time the fucking bomb went off? But I, I, I could have sworn at the, the cops that. I could have sworn at the end of the film when the cops are explaining everything that they mention the time change or the time difference. And they say, and then they say, that's how we knew it was Brown. Yeah. And I didn't like that. That just was lost on me. Yeah. It doesn't make any fucking sense. And then again, how the fuck would Brown know when the car blew up in Liverpool, if he was in London, when, um, the bomb went off. Like, why would <laughs> well, they even? When ask he him and John showed up at the scene of the accident, wouldn't the cops there that were investigating the crash have told him what time it happened, or give them some kind of window? Well, yeah, probably. But at the same time, if the clock on the dashboard said six, why would they tell him five? Well, I don't know. Okay. Like, then well, I mean, if it happened at five, which it probably did. Because that's when the yeah. time bomb is set to go off. The fact that the dashboard said six, how does that assign any blame or innocence to anybody? Because, well, I could never get the clock in the dashboard to the right time. But no anyway, idea. and I'm thinking because this plot obviously involved a lot of people cooperating to pull off. I mean, between uh, Christine and Liz and the cameraman and uh, stuff like that, it could have been maybe the cameraman, the, the, the Peter guy that sold him the film that went into the garage. That would explain how you don't have. Yeah. But they never, you know, they never talk about that, that and, at all. Yeah. And he gets away with Christine. They're gone. They're living in New York now. Like, they're they're <laughs> fine. Nothing happens to them. So <laughs> let's just try to quickly get through the rest of this fucking shit show here. Okay. So um, he he goes and he sees Liz. Liz is like, oh, then you know. Um, uh, Helen called me and she was with someone named Judith and she was thrown from the car and Judith's body was the one who blew up in the car and all this other shit. And you're like, oh, that's weird. I didn't know Judith. You can't bring someone in in the third act. Who fucking does that, right? <laughs> so then um, he goes home, and Alice is there dressed like a fucking whore. And apparently they bone. And that's cool. And um, But then he gets all mad at her about something and, I don't know, some other shit. Yeah, he just walks into the house, and she's oh, wait, passed I out with her legs over the, the couch. Part. So while he's walking through the fucking thing, um, he goes to Japan Air and buys yes. airline tickets to Japan to for Japan. Right. Because when you're in the middle of uh, an investigation, you decide, fuck, I really wanted to go to fucking Japan. 
I should fucking go to Japan. So that's in his pocket. So when she's looking for a cigarette, she finds these tickets to Japan. And I guess that's supposed to make us think that um, he thinks the cops are on to him. So he's going to skip town or something like that. No, it was just he wanted to go to Japan. So that's that. So then he finds out. Um, wait, and he's like all drunk or something. He gets all fucking drunk at a bar. There's oh. his pinball machine, so that's cool. another thing and that like, lasted way too long. But when I saw forever. the when I saw the pinball machines, I'm like, well, at least Matt has something to look at for a second. Yeah, I was really excited. I wish we would have spent more time on that instead of fucking giant fucking heads, big ass fucking head, but taking up the whole fucking frame. But anyway, <laughs> so then there's a phone call in this loud fucking bar. And this, the chick who calls is Liz. And she's like, hey, this is Liz. I need you to tell um, fucking John that fucking Helen, um, the countess, is at the fucking the old house. Okay, do you have all this information? He's like, yes, I have all this information. I'll tell him. So then he goes to this old house. Okay. She he calls gets and gets house. a random, like, bartender to relay this very bar. intricate. How the fuck does she even know what Yeah, she guesses which bar. She finds a bartender who would actually do that instead of tell her to jam it and hang up. And, it's just and he, who could barely walk, somehow drunk drives all the way out of London to the old family home. Without and then he gets to this old jag. house. He gets to the old house and he finds all the coats. Oh, so maybe uh-huh. Helen came back to steal all the coats because no, he, she was home. Okay. And then... Yeah. He found the coats before he went to the club. He found the coats where? I'm looking. I, I might be all over the place. I'm looking at it right now. He's he's back in. Um, th- there was another gaslighting scene where he comes home. He opens the door, and let, this is again the reason why I say I don't really understand what, which location is which. There's a scene where he's trying to get into the door and he finds the key and then he finally opens the door. I'm looking at it now. It's at uh, an hour 20. There's a piano. There's It looks like someone sitting in a chair by a fireplace with a book yeah. and a blanket, but there's nobody there. It's and the old family house. And then he goes and he finds all the stuff in the closet and then the dog comes out. He finds the, the dog. dog. Suki's yeah. back. Suki's back. Yay. But this is okay, before but- he goes to the pinball club. No. Yeah, I'm watching it right now. Oh, wait, is it? Yes, you're right. You're right. I, I got it wrong. I mean, because I can't a, imagine why you get call, it wrong. I the mean, phone the call comes. Keep track know, of The phone call shit. comes to tell him that the countess is at the cathedral. Right. Because this guy's such a good fucking amateur detective that the only way he finds a clue <laughs> is when someone fucking calls him and hits him over the head with it. Not just someone, it's, but someone who's in on it. <laughs> Yeah, right. She <laughs> runs out of the house, drives away, and yeah. his decision is to go bar hopping until she calls him. <laughs> if somebody calls him, that's while he's in his like trench coat and fedora because he's a detective. Right. Jesus fucking Christ! But he's not. So anyway, the funny the, part the is point, he's wearing the, the point detect- I'm trying to make here. The, the he's wearing the detective here. outfit, which is interesting. He's wearing the detective outfit. But he never wears the gloves again. He takes the gloves off, like, kind of almost symbolically before he puts the the amateur detective outfit on with the fedora and the jacket. You know, you never see them all together in the same outfit. Oh, there you go. That's a nice touch. He's I don't know. Spade and neutered. <laughs> so here's the thing that is bothering me. And I don't like it when movies tr- try to trick you 
so you cannot possibly figure out what's going on. If Suki went with Ellen, which we suppose Suki did, then when the car crashed, Suki should have died. Okay? Right. But Suki didn't die. So did that did mean Suki, Suki go with Liz? Or did Suki go with Helen? And if it's Helen's fucking dog, why the fuck did it leave with Liz? Do we need to worry about this fucking dog? <laughs> she, she spent enough time playing in the bathroom with Helen and Liz. She's probably comfortable with everybody. Okay, so we're just going to assume that Liz has the dog. So if we assume Liz has the dog, wouldn't he have known who was going to have the dog? And then if he gets to a place where he thinks Helen's going to be, but sees the dog, and Helen's supposed to be dead, wouldn't he go, oh shit, this is actually Liz, and this isn't fucking Helen at all? And then, did you see how Liz picked the dog up to get it in the car? She's a fucking vicious bitch. <laughs> she grabbed that dog like it was a fucking sock. Huh. <laughs> we go back. Okay, so anyway, he goes to a fucking cathedral, all this shit, and of course, she's going to be in the confessional booth, so he knows this automatically. He goes in there, she turns, he goes around, and he sees her fucking mangled fucking face, okay? Oh. And I was like, I was like, holy shit. We, we have some good special effects in here, at least. And for a minute, I was like, oh, wow, they really did a number on her. And then he's like, oh, you know what? This movie's called Double Face. I bet there's a face beneath that face. And he rips <laughs> off her face. And it's Did you really her. think that at that moment? When he put his hand up, I did. But here's the thing. Because she's like, Kill. okay, this is what I don't understand. What is their plan? She's <laughs> like, know. here's a gun. I can't do it. Kill me. Right. And he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, you're fucking ugly. I should probably wait a second. That's a mask. <laughs> and then he goes and he pulls it off. And then the cops show up with Brown. But what was going to happen if he shot her? Yeah, I Why don't understand anything of what the plan. Well, it <laughs> might not have been loaded. But <laughs> well, if that's true. Been that's loaded, good point. If she shit her pants, you guys were going to let him kill me. What took you so long? Fuck! Like she's the objective is to get him out of the way so that Mister Brown, stepdad, whatever, can take over the company. But when right. the only real way to do it would be for him to be dead, not arrested for the attempted murder of. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, this, like I don't know. Maybe it would. None just of this made any fucking sense. And then they did this whole thing where the cops are putting the cuffs on somebody and you don't know who it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're like, Jesus, fucking Christ, get on with it. We know well, the, whole, do it. the whole thing about the, the end scene with, do I shoot her or do I rip off her fake mask? Is that they only wrote the script for a rip off her fake mask. And you don't have to really think about what the other time, what the other plot line would have ended up being. Because we're just going to follow it this way. Because that's but then why do. point it out? Yeah. Uh, like, why have in the dialogue her say like, like what the like? I can't remember what she says, but it's along the lines of, "What the fuck did, did took you so long to get here? He almost fucking killed me." Like that whole fucking bit. Like I don't understand it. So unless they were hoping that him with a gun and the cops coming in would see him with a gun and then pull their guns out and shoot. 
that's the only thing I could fucking imagine. But that's like, why would you give him a loaded gun? (laughs) And like, why would she freak out if the gun was empty? Like nothing fucking makes, makes any (laughs) sense here. But then as soon as he ran, as soon as the cops did believe that. If the cops believed what they were trying to set him up as trying to do or uh, being the guilty person, do they think they're not going to talk to him and hear his side of the story and put the real picture together once they arrest him? I have no just, idea. Like, I don't even know if the cops are doing their job right now. Like, I nothing makes any fucking sense in this movie. This movie leaves more questions than answers. And when when the the mask is ripped off of Liz... For a minute, at least the first time I watched it, I'm like, I don't even know who that is. Because she finally doesn't have the the black hair, short hair yeah. wig on. I didn't yeah, know her hair was. was a different color. The first time I saw it, I thought maybe it was Alice. And I wasn't sure who it was. But You know, but when I saw her... Uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, isn't this kind of... I can't remember exactly, but isn't this kind of how Seven Blood Stained Orchids ended? Something I forget. What movie was? I don't know. It's been so long since I've seen that one. Okay. I don't even remember which one that one is. When she uh, when she came out of the confessional, I noticed when he uh, he drew the curtain back, the organ music complete immediately stopped. So I thought maybe she had a little keyboard inside the, uh, the <laughs> confessional. But when she came out and we saw her face, the first thing I thought was Matt owes Susan Scott an apology for all, all those years of calling her butthole face. <laughs> yeah. No shit. Jesus fucking mangled Christ. Yeah. Well, there's, a, there's another um, Jalo from a few years before this called um, The Murder Clinic. And it's got the same deal. Like one of the characters is revealed later on in the movie to have third degree burns as a result of some accident. And it just reminded me of the same thing. Like this scene here, um, I'm like, I'm getting my movies mixed up. Oh, wait, wait no, the, the somebody which kills seven times or something like that. What's that movie? Um, the Red Witch. Oh yeah. The, the Red, Red Queen. Queen. Yeah. The Red Queen kills. Isn't that how that movie ended? Isn't I this think, the same? I think you're right. Oh, there is another like no. deformed. There's another deformed, uh, like backstory, or something. One of the characters had an accident or something like that. Yeah, but, that but that movie has the big flood at the end. I hated that oh fucking God. thing. Fuck yeah, dude. It was awful. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So, so they, long story short, when the guy runs, I'm like, oh, my God, they're in a cathedral. He's going to run to the top and then jump off and fall and uh, slip. And I'm like, Chris is going to love it. Yeah. No, but um, he got in the car and they did a car chase. I don't know how he got so far away from them that he was able to get to a car and drive off, but whatever. And then, like, Klaus Kinski runs with the cops. Hey, I'll ride with you. Okay, get in. Like, this, yeah, I don't know. Well, and then we have the um, redo of the opening scene, right? Yeah, and now we're back where we started. Yeah, where we started. 
nothing makes any sense. Nothing is possible in the timeline that they've given us. Um, and he's got to hurry up and get out of there because he's going to Japan. <laughs> and, His uh, plane for Japan leaves tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, like Jesus Christ, dude. There's so much <laughs> stuff to be done. Um, and we didn't even get like the end of the movie where the cops are like, oh, well, now I guess I could retire. Da, 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 da. Like, yeah, there's no there's no epilogue at all in this one. No. So I don't know. Like I don't know what to feel about this movie because there were parts of this movie that I thought were really fun, and there was a lot of fashion that I fucking really liked in this movie. This, <laughs> I think I think you said it <clears throat> best when you said that it didn't feel fill the six reels. Like if this movie, if you could take the middle part out. Or at least take the middle part and stretch it down to half the time, um, it would make it better. But it's so slow in the middle. It would be forty-five minutes if you did. Yeah, because this movie is barely an hour thirty. Like, I, I don't know if this happens to you guys when you're watching any Jalo film for the first time. If you like latch on to the plot and the pacing, and you're like, "Yeah, I'm getting into this. I'm I'm in the zone now." And then they get to the beginning of the second act and they lose you. And then they may not ever get you back or like yeah. this film, you kind of get it back towards the very, very end. But in some other Jalo films, it's like the beginning has got a lot going on. The middle is a little bit slow, but then maybe the last, I don't know, 20 minutes is back up to the same kind of feeling that you got from the beginning. But this one, it wasn't the last 20 minutes. It was like the last five because all the stuff that led up to him going to the cathedral and going into the confessional thing, that was like the very last bit. And then before you got to that, it's him walking around and more gaslighting and the fucking bar with all the drinking and the pinball machines. And, you know, so, and then you have this whole part at the very end of the movie where he's like, when she's like hands him the gun and um, she's like, kill me. And he's like, I can't kill you. I love you. And it's like, motherfucker, if you would have said that or something along those lines, 50 minutes ago, I would have been behind you as the fucking hero of this fucking movie. But because yeah, right. you never right. fucking said that. And again, if this was them just trying to cash in on Klaus being the fucking villain and a bunch of shit, then I get it. But it made the viewing experience for me kind of shit. Yeah, because you didn't really root for him, even though you're supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So, I don't know. It was... It was a fun movie to watch because of all the, like, ridiculous shit in it. But, like, yeah. I don't know if I would ever watch this again. It's got a good, like, visual style. Um, and the sets and stuff are really interesting to look at. And like you said, the fashion is pretty good. And I would go even one step further and say that I really enjoyed the soundtrack. So, really, what it comes down to is the script and the pacing. And it almost it's almost like kind of a, a stab in the in the heart when you get a film that has this much potential with good directors and good music and good everything. And then they, they have this story that goes nowhere. And like I said, when I watch a, a lot of Jalo films, 
they get me hooked and then I get kind of distracted and I, and I lose attention in the middle, but then they bring me back. And this one didn't do that. I got to the end and I'm like, oh, they threw all this stuff in in the last minute just to make it more than it had been for the last, you know, 50 minutes, right? I don't know. Yeah. And if you, like, get into the actual logic behind it, like, all of the things that Brown had to plan for this to go off, is like, he should be a fucking James Bond villain. Right. There was... Like, the fact that it was pure coincidence or accident that Helen was burned beyond recognition in the accident. If that hadn't have happened, what would their plan have been? Right. Exactly. Oh God. Because they took the body back in the coffin with them. It wasn't like the body um, was just completely destroyed and they don't know what happened. Like, cause a lot of these movies where somebody dies, it's like the body was never found in this particular case, the body was found. They took it back with them in a coffin, but because it was burned beyond recognition, they were able to, to, you know, add another piece of evidence to this plot. But, and then the whole it's thing not like with, the new she was going to be driving a Pinto or something. Yeah. Like if, if Brown needed both of them to die for him to be able to take over the company, why didn't he just blow the car up when they were coming back from the horse track? Yeah. Yeah, why not kill them both at the same time? Huh. Unless he needed a patsy. I don't fucking know, dude. <laughs> like, the more I try to make sense of this, the stupider I feel. But, but what are you going to do? What can you do? So it's funny, because I put this... Um, synopsis or scene by scene together in a way that I thought would be a really quick asking <laughs> through this movie quickly. And this seems like a longer episode. Yeah. You know, it's, it's an hour per person. So, you know, we're, we're getting on the third hour here. Good God. <laughs> we're getting I'm a little, sorry. Get a failed, little better. Guys. I, I failed you guys. <laughs> it's I fun for me I, myself. I don't really care so so al i mean we we've probably heard enough about what i and matt think about the film and its rewatchability and why it's problematic um what was your takeaway here i think i won't be watching this again anytime soon um I'm kind of like you guys. Did I, you remember it being? I liked it better. The, I liked it better the first time I watched it. Well, the first time I watched it was like a month ago. So, oh okay. Um, yeah, it's not one that I had seen years ago. I don't know. Usually, the more I watch a movie, the more it makes sense, or the more I can appreciate the the way the plot and the script was put together so that the pieces fit cohesively and it's satisfying. And for a couple movies now that has been the opposite. It yeah. makes less sense the more I watch it and think about it. And 
I don't know. Maybe either I'm getting stupid or these movies are. <laughs> you know. So, uh, I mean, I I enjoyed um, some of the the sets, the scenery, uh, uh, some of the props and costumes. Uh, the cars were cool, but uh, the story was just lame, and a lot of the padding was obnoxious. The, the hippie dancing with the motorcycle thing just went on way too long. Yeah. And uh, the scenes of him bar hopping and driving down the streets of London with his headlights off got kind of annoying. Uh, if there was an edited version, I'd probably watch it. It cut a lot of that stuff out. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's kind of a, a blip on the radar with regard to the genre as a whole. I mean, this isn't necessarily regarded as a must-see if you're trying to get a sense of, you know, the the the, the full sense of the history of the genre or the yeah, subgenre. With that, said, with that said, what's its score? Yeah, that's the funny part. Because it has so many tropes. Yeah. Um, that it scores higher than I'm glad you brought that up because I have it right in front of me. Hang on. Um, I used to have it right in front of me. Um, and you know, maybe you guys can help me make sure that the score is accurate. I'm loading it up here. Hold on. Um, so we have an Italian director, we have a hidden identity, a mysterious you know, person committing a crime of some sort. We have black gloves. We have an amateur detective. Um, I give it three points now because it's in the pre-classic period, which we're calling 68 and 69, um, which was a suggestion um, that we recently talked about. Um, The motive of the main killer was monetary gain. The killer or, you know, person responsible for the murders avoids capture by accidental death. That's a big one. Um, the director has a credit for another giallo later down the road. Um, there's a revelation that's told in a flashback. There's an accomplice. There's some nude scenes. It's an urban location. There was an airplane taking off. I gave them a point for attending a funeral. And unfortunately, they really didn't go to a funeral. They just had uh, a coffin and a plane. So I'll take that one off. But I didn't give it uh, points for... What the hell was it? Um, chase scene. I didn't give it a chase scene point, so that it kind of cancels itself out. Car, motorcycle racing, gaslighting, hippies dancing, an odd clue, which you can say is the ring, or you can say is which one? The wallet. Shit. And then finally, photography, art, modeling. So yeah. it gets it gets seventy four points for all that. <laughs> oh. And I mean, honestly, when I was watching it the whole time, I was like, oh, my God, this movie's going to fucking nail the score so yeah. fucking hard. It, it doesn't make any like, sense. No. Maybe. <laughs> maybe Argento maybe was onto something. <laughs> Argento watched this and said, I can make one that's even less comprehensible. <laughs> oh, my God. No, dude. Like. I was just like, but no, I mean, like, if these are the things that make it, you know, then yeah, they just did a bad job at it. Right. But it's funny because this is like a precursor 
So was this movie very popular when it came out? Like, did a lot of people who ended up, and I'm, I'm guessing because Klaus Kinski was in it, it probably did get a lot of view in Italy during this time. Well, <clears throat> it was, a West, it was yeah. a West German co-production with Italy. Yeah, which is why the Edgar Wallace thing again. And and it yeah, actually, according to IMDb, it was released in West Germany before it was released in Italy. But on Wikipedia, it says that um, <clears throat> where the hell was it? I just saw it. it. Said how much money it made. Um, it was released theatrically in Italy on the twenty sixth of July. Um, the film grossed. 175 million lira. Is that and good? I, I don't know what that means, Al. You could probably help us translate that currency. Uh, like today's kind of euros or whatever. Well, that's gotten kind of screwed up since uh, Italy adopted the euro. So I'd have to think back to... When I was familiar with how much a thousand lira was worth, and that was like in the early 80s, and then I'd have to adjust for inflation back to the late well, 60s. Couldn't you, couldn't you look and see what Bird made? Because that came out, what, six yeah. months later, seven sure. months later? I, I All I know is I remember there's a scene in Tenebrae where the, the daughter comes in and asks her father for 5,000, which I guess is like asking for a dollar or five dollars. Okay, now something like that I could help with because 5,000 lira in 1982 would have been probably just like maybe eight bucks. Oh, wait, maybe even less. I was going the wrong way. Back in Brown, in those days, about 1,500 lira was equal to a dollar. So five would be... I don't know, like three dollars and fifty cents, maybe. Okay. Well, the the box office gross for the bird with the crystal plumage. Is this <laughs> worldwide or just Italy? Well, it says uh, one billion six hundred and fifty million lira for the box office gross of the bird with the crystal plumage, but you don't know if you're taking that money in from, um, if you're considering international revenue or not, but 10 times as much, if not a hundred times as much as this film did. Okay. So could someone say that Argento saw this movie, like said, I could do that better took all the elements of it, put it in bird and then made more money. Now, I don't think so because this movie is way more on the Gothic gaslighting psychological shit. And bird is a killer is on the loose stalking slasher movie. And there's, there's no, there's no stalking slasher shit happening in this movie. It's just, we no, see some like, black gloves like the and the, tropes and shit. But the other tropes, yeah, you're right. I mean, I think that the, I think that the tropes were more established by Bava in Blood and Black yeah. Lace, for for Argento. But certainly, um, for, well, for sure, the black gloves, obviously. 
Um, the other stuff is partly kind of things that I thought of, and it may not necessarily be that what I am using as a criteria for the score is what's universally assumed as a, a giallo trope. Like, I think amateur detective is a big one. I think everybody agrees on that. I mean, um, I think all the things you have on there, like, I'm trying to think of one thing you have on the score that I've ever thought, eh, that doesn't really happen. Because, like, all those things happen in these movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's not like a stretch. I, yeah, when I made the score, it's not so much about me thinking that I was stretching the idea, but more about the fact, like, I made I made up a criteria or a trope that happens in every single movie, no matter what the genre is. Like, is an airplane taking off really, like, worth a point? I mean, don't we have, you know, anytime someone's going on a trip in a movie, they show the but airplane taking off. But that sets up the jet set, the culture. No, it's like, true. For the first time people have enough money and planes are inexpensive enough and mm. abundant enough to be able to be flying all over the place yeah, and doing all that shit. And that's a big thing. And like, maybe it's something as little as like, since Lindsay wrote this, like comparing this score to other Lindsay movies, you know? Right. Like, is that something uh, that, would shed light because maybe Lindsay's really the godfather of everything the whole time and we didn't even know it and um or Fulci I mean you said Fulci not Lindsay Fulci I'm always what? I'm always trying to give Lindsay credit See, the, the thing yeah right like he doesn't ask for it every time he's on on an interview right and um, he's always trying to take it anyway he's taking it constantly um no see m- I don't know enough about Fulci. He has a huge career. I mean, he was making movies in the 40s. So I get a sense that Fulci turns out to be like a jack-of-all-trades director because he did every possible genre you can think of. He's most famous for his, you know, like horror, undead zombie type movies. Um, But he obviously did way more than that. Um, but anyway, um, Al, the thing yeah. that you, the, the link you sent, um, if I want to convert it from Italian lira, is that in that drop down? Where would I find it? Uh, you'd have to. Uh, let me pull it up. Again. Oh, here we go. It, uh, Italy. I got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so, so I did it with the one billion five hundred sixty million lira into u.s dollars and i just selected year 1969 and it gave me uh 2,500,212 dollars good yeah that's what um bird that's that's what bird made with regard to how much money was worth back in 60 in 1970 is that the idea? Like two uh, million, well, like two million dollars in in twenty twenty two is not really a good take home. No, no. Yeah, that would be the dollars at the same time. At that time, right? Okay. Adjusted to, for, I guess that'd be a different website or something. Yeah, because I mean, if you made two million dollars by nineteen sixty nine standards on your first movie, um, 
it kind of seems like it would be obvious why everybody would want to copy off what you did. Because that's especially seemed, once you consider how low the budget probably was. Right. It seems like that Not was like a, they were making. Yeah. There were. <laughs> I think the budget for this was higher because of that green screen. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> or blue screen. Forcing a Let's... smile out of that bastard probably wasn't cheap either. <laughs> yeah, right? That's the best special effect ever. And the flashlight <laughs> candelabra. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, okay. But that was, uh, yeah, that's the interesting part about the score. So. I don't know how this came up in my head, but I was like, I wonder what Jalo movies Diodato made. And um, so I was just looking him up, and he made The Washing Machine. Ruggiero? Yeah. The Cannibal Holocaust guy? Yeah. Yes, and that fucking movie is so terrible. Not Cannibal Holocaust. I'm talking about The Washing Machine. Yeah. Uh, it's a, we did it. We, there's an episode for that one. I know we did it. Yeah. If we anybody is still listening to our podcast and you're interested in our take on Ruggiero Diodato's The Washing Machine, you can refer back to after Eric, though, it was episode 58. There you go. When did we do Bizarre or Perfume or whatever it was called? Oh my God, the worst that film was probably ever. The worst movie we've ever done. Yep. Is it like the <laughs> the one guy dresses up like a girl and then the girl Dude. rapes him in the butt with like some co- sort of brush or hairbrush or something? Yeah, dude. <laughs> and we talked yeah, we about that so legitimately shit. as a podcast. Oh, oh my god. My god. <laughs> I think that was one of my picks too, which is oh, shocking. It was. Like how did how did I come across that? It was never going to be anybody else's pick. <laughs> yeah ladies and gentlemen we're talking about episode uh 47 jalo chow chow that that period was a was the dark days (laughs) i have Uh, to go back and listen to that now because uh, i haven't listened to any of these in a long time i should definitely go back and hear something if i'm gonna listen to any it's gonna be this one the bizarre perfumo (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i'm gonna laugh oh, how did we get here all right and um, al stuck with us through all that which is did. and it's really late for him too it's six hours ahead of us oh my god or, no six hours ahead of me nine hours ahead of you So, yeah. All right. Thanks, Matt. That was a, an awesome scene by scene. And uh, I think I, I think I'm getting really close to being ready to leave the early, you know, the late 60s and get back to kind of either rewatching the ones that we know are great or finding a few that we just skipped over for one reason or another that are post, you know, like in the 71 and 72 era, because I think Al... I'm- I think Al was right. Like the last couple of ones we've done, um, they, they, there's really something missing from the way that they pace the films and the way that the plot and the narration work. Like that, 
it seems like the later Jolly, as much as they were ridiculous and didn't make any sense, they they didn't like like you were saying, Matt, like the whole thing about the the clock and the bomb and the car in this movie was left out for us. And they just kind of mentioned it later. Obviously this is another case of whether the subs had a completely different story going on or like, Al, I don't know if you watched this in Italian or anything like that, but like, I don't know what the fuck was going on with this. Or this is another one of those cases where, they changed the script as the movie was going because for this, that, or the other reason. But there was just so many, like, you never, in storytelling, it's like 101. Like, you never, like, if you're showing clues, those clues have to mean something. And you don't specifically keep clues away from the audience just so you could go, and this is what happened. Isn't it shocking? <laughs> like, that's not storytelling. That's, and that's like, that dates back to fucking like pre Agatha Christie. You know, like, there are rules for a mystery. You know, um, I don't know. Like, this was just weird. Yeah, I watched it in English, and for some reason, it didn't even occur to me to see if the Italian track was on there and I just saw that it was. So, oops, I should have watched it in Italian. <laughs> we probably could have saved an hour of what the fuckery uh, on this God. podcast if I had. Uh, <laughs> I'll do that in the good. meantime. And He's I'll like, I watched it, it in Italian and it turns out Christine was his wife the whole time. It made perfect sense. It's my favorite Jalo ever. And, um, right. I take back everything I said last time. Maybe. Oh, shit. Anybody want to throw out anything for next time? Well, there were like four or five movies on the list to pick from this time. Like, was there, I thought there was one Al really wanted to do. Yeah, it was the Carnal Insatiables. Circuit. Yeah. Or the Insatiables, yeah. Yeah, let's do that. Fuck it. So until next time, everybody, ciao, ciao.